This one's for you, hockey guy. Not necessarily the song, but the on-time start tonight. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show, starting right on time, on the button at 6.30 p.m. And this was inspired by Hockey Guy, who was so frustrated with the show always starting late, because he listens live, that he offered $10 extra to the free roll if I started on time. So... I decided I was up for the challenge tonight, and I made it start on time. And actually, the $10 will go towards next week. We already have plenty of money for this week. But thank you, Hockey Guy, and you can thank him if you're listening live and want to hear it on time. Opening song was Kim Wilde, Kids in America. And I actually was a kid in America when that song came out in 1982. I was only 10 years old at that time. But no longer 10 years old, quite far from that these days. And welcome again to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druffin Friends show. So, and don't ask me in the chat. Someone's asking me in chat for the password into the free roll, the online poker room. I don't have that in front of me here. In fact, I can't even see anyone's passwords. So you'll have to find a way to reset it yourself or PM me a password you want to have it changed to. But you have to make sure to get this all squared away before the show starts. I produce enough of the show during the show to where I can't also worry about things like your password. Anyway, I see Adam Schwartz of the 2 Plus 2 podcast is also listening live because we're not doing this on Tuesday, so he can actually make it. So hello to him. I want to tell you about our free roll tonight. We have a special free roll that is a lot more than it usually is. The prize pool for tonight's free roll is $1 million. Actually, I shouldn't say things like that or people may sue me for it when I don't actually live up to it. No, it's not a million dollars. It's actually one ten-thousandth of a million dollars. It is $100, which is still pretty good for a free roll, especially a free roll with not that many people in it. So you have a pretty good chance of winning something. Unlike the free rolls you'll find in places like Poker Stars, where you're going to have a very small chance of winning anything at all. So these free rolls actually pay a good amount of money considering the small field. But tonight's a $100 free roll, and the way the prizes break down are as follows. First place is 50 bucks. Second place, 25 bucks. Third place, 16 bucks. And fourth is nine. 50, 25, 16, and nine. This is thanks to the generous donations that came from Belly Buster, who gave us 18, Trader SHKY, who gave us 20, Level Account, who gave us 15, and Pooh, who at, I'd say fairly late, I was going to say the last minute, but then I hesitated and said, blah, 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 blah. But he gave it fairly late. $47 to rounded out to an even hundred, so I appreciate that. Poker Fraud Alert has given away more money in our free rolls than any poker radio show or podcast on Earth. And you can look that up, it's true. Pretty good for a fairly small site and the podcast attached to it. Though we do have about a thousand listeners between live and the archives, that's pretty good. In the future, in the very near future, 
I'm going to put up buttons on Poker Fraud Alert to donate to the free roll, to donate to the site if you want to just pay for the upkeep of the site, because I do lose money every month running this thing. The goal is not to make money, but I do lose money, so it would be nice not to lose money. So you can donate to the site, you can donate to the free roll, and you can do so with PayPal or Bitcoin. I'm going to have buttons on the site to do so. And not because I'm greedy or I'm trying to pressure anyone for money, but just because I always get questions, how do I donate to the free roll? Do you take PayPal? Do you take Bitcoin? What's the PayPal address? What's the Bitcoin address? So this way you can just do it if you want. No pressure on anybody. If you don't want to donate a dime here, that's completely fine as well. And I do thank the people who donate to the site. I mean, almost all the donations have gone toward the free roll, but I, I thank everyone who donates towards anything here. I think that's very nice, and that's why I chose to donate myself to the hats, which I purchased at my own expense and will be distributing at my own expense. Any person who chooses to free not free roll, who chooses to co-host this show with me will get a hat if they want one. And anyone who has been an active listener or poster on Poker Fraud Alert can also probably get a hat. Just PM me if you want one. I have not sent out any in the mail yet. I've given a few away during the World Series of Poker in person to people, but I will be mailing them either this week or next week most likely. So you should probably get your hats if I promised you one before August 1st, but no promises. You know, it's a free thing. I will get it out soon, though. If you want to play in the free roll, I have to mention this, to qualify for the free money, you need to have had a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before. If you do not have an account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before, email me dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks and convince me of that by telling me some things you've heard that are not in the official show description for those three weeks. Then I will give you a lifetime exception that will enable you to win the free roll money for as long as you remain in good standing on the site. So I think now that I got all that out of the way, we can... Oh, I forgot the phone numbers. You'd think I'd have all this down from all the weeks I've done this, but phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. That's a mountain that hangs over Las Vegas, Nevada, about 45 minutes away by car. does get snow in the winter and spring. I have a an old 70s rotary phone that sits on top, and it forwards to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. If you want to text me during the show, there's a different phone number for that, 702-623-1423. Once again, 702-623-1423, and you can do so during the show, after the show, before the show, anytime you feel like it. I even had some people just starting text conversations with me in the middle of the week. 702-623-1423 is the text number. If you forget any of these phone numbers, you can find them in the Flying Stupidity portion of the Poker Fraudler Forum under the official Druff and Friends show thread for July 16, 2014. Here is the agenda for tonight. 
By the way, the free roll is at 740. There's no limit hold'em. There is late registration. Yes, there is late registration now and forever. We now have that feature on the poker room. Late registration, which is open till 8.05. So the free roll starts at 7.40. Late registration open till 8.05, 25 minutes later. So I think that'll help some stragglers who want to register for the free roll and don't get it down in time. Maybe it'll boost the numbers of people playing. But we always have fewer people playing on our off nights when we don't broadcast on Tuesday. We tend to get fewer people. And tonight is a Wednesday. Next week, we will return to a Tuesday. Agenda tonight, not very long. So if I finish early, then I'll take questions from the chat room or phone calls or whatever. Mark Newhouse has accomplished something that is pretty amazing. I'm sure you probably know by now. He is going to be part of the November 9 this year, 2014. And of course, he accomplished it in 2013 as well. Can you imagine that the fields have been in the mid-6,000s for the past two years and he final tabled both years? I don't know if we'll ever see that again. But who knows, maybe next year he'll be a final tableist again. We'll talk a bit about that and how unusual that actually probably is and is going to be. Well, I've been waiting for legal online poker in the state of California. I think everybody's been waiting, even if you don't live in California. Once California gets legalized online poker, I think the rest of the nation, or most of the rest of the nation, will probably follow. Because California is a very big and influential state. It has about one-ninth of the population. And let's face it, that's a trendsetter. California is the trendsetter. So I've been waiting patiently for California to do that. Well, believe it or not, I can actually play, maybe, I haven't tried, but supposedly I can actually play online poker being run in California. How is that possible? How is that possible? Is it one of those illegal sites that's set up shop in California only? No. It's actually an Indian tribe. And they are attempting to run legalized online poker without the state's permission. I don't know if this is going to fly. I think it's going to be a failure. I think people are going to be too nervous to deposit there. And I actually agree. I'm not going to deposit there myself. But we'll talk about that. And I know Steve Ruddock, a.k.a. Steve-O, volunteered to co-host during that segment, the Indian Tribe segment. And if he's around uh, and you can get a hold of him and have him come in the chat room, uh, I will be glad to have him on for this. I know he's been part of the discussion slash debate on this topic on 2 plus 2. So I'd like to have him on here, and he's usually pretty well informed regarding poker news in general, since he's a poker journalist himself. Well, around uh, 7.30, we're going to have on, hopefully he'll answer the phone this time, airport scammer and poker player, Michael Borovitz, also known as PSU Mike 1999. There's been a very 
long thread about him on 2 Plus 2. Basically, this is a degenerate gambler who for a very long time has been scamming people to keep in action. And he's admitted to all this. This is not somebody who is accused of scamming. This is someone who has owned up to what he's done and was caught red-handed, basically. Most recently, he's been going to airports and scamming people at airports with a phony story in order to get money from them and then using that money to gamble. So we're going to have him on the show. I always want to give the accused the platform to defend themselves or even if they don't want to defend themselves to explain why they did what they did. We've talked about Michael Borvitz on this show and it's only fair that if he wants to come on that he can. So we will have him on at around 7.30 Pacific time tonight. That's the time I told him I'd call him. We tried to reach him last week but he was traveling. It was hard to reach him. Well, a few people got in trouble this week. We have three different stories about people associated with poker getting in a lot of trouble. We have two attorneys general in Utah, state attorney generals here, who were indicted for charges somewhat related to poker. And, I mean, that's a pretty big deal. The attorney general, not just one, but two of them for the state of Utah have been indicted over what's mostly bribery. But it has to do with poker. And it even has ties to Harry Reid, the Senate Majority Leader. We will talk about what happened there and why the federal government is steering clear of this whole thing. I believe they are protecting Harry Reid. And again, it's all related to poker. Not all, but it's uh, got a strong tie to poker. Well, if you go to Caesars, I'm talking about Caesars in Las Vegas. I know there's a few Caesars, but Caesars Las Vegas, you can bet on sports there. There is a Caesars sports book, pretty large sports book. So why would anybody run an illegal sports betting operation there? Well, there was a high-stakes World Cup betting ring being run out of Caesars. And it involved a very high-stakes poker player. And in fact, uh, this guy entered the one-drop million-dollar buy-in tournament in 2012. His name is Paul Fua. And he was arrested, among other people, in this World Cup betting ring operating out of Caesars Palace. Pretty amazing. So we'll talk about that a bit. I know I'm going to mess up this name. It's a lot harder than uh, Paul Fua. Ali Tekintagamagak <laughs> from... Uh, known for cheating in a World Poker Tour event and in other events. Basically, he had a cheating ring going, which primarily employed accomplices in the media to look at people's whole cards and then signal them to him. He won a World Poker Tour event in Barcelona through this cheating method. Well, he was caught a while back, and he was sentenced in Germany related to this cheating. We'll talk a bit about what happened to him and whether that was a fair sentence. The Trump Plaza is the latest casualty in the soft Atlantic City gambling market. Just not doing that well over there. And the Trump Plaza is going to close this fall. 
Finally, an editorial that has nothing to do with poker. It has to do with the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, which I watched last night, and that's the reason the show is one day late. I got sick of always missing the All-Star Game because it's always on Tuesday. Well, I have to say that the All-Star Game counting for anything is absolutely ridiculous, and yet it matters a good deal, a very good deal, to two teams. And I think it's really stupid for a variety of reasons. You'll probably agree with me. But I watched it last night really rooting for the National League because I think the Dodgers have a pretty good chance of making it to the World Series for the first time in 26 years. And I'm a big Dodgers fan. And I was disappointed to see the National League lose, and I just thought about how stupid it is that this has any tie to the World Series whatsoever. So I will give you my reasons as to why I think this is just absolutely crazy and ridiculous that the MLB All-Star Game has any kind of bearing on the regular or postseason. That's the agenda tonight. If you want to call in, again, 775-372-8355. That's 775-FRAUD55. Make sure to show your caller ID. If I don't answer the phone, just try back in about 15 minutes, and maybe I will have the time to take the call. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but uh, I do try to take some calls during the show and not ramble too much. So... Let me uh, take a look at some of the texts we got already from the 901 area code. Hi, Truff. A little music trivia for you. What 80s pop rock band had a top hit called Your Love from their 1985 album titled Play Deep? Jeez, I, I think I know that one, but I'm forgetting it. What 80s band had a top 10 hit called Your Love from their 1985 album called Play Deep? I should know this, but I'm forgetting. Anyone in the chat room know? Anyone? Anyone? That's right, Outfield. I knew it was something having to do with baseball. So that's the only text we got so far. <laughs> but I know we have some problems with our text phone number, which I have to change the uh, the text number so it's more reliable. Looking in the chat room here. <laughs> Bukowski giving the lyrics of that song. Yeah, it's a pretty well-known song. I just had forgotten the group. I see Steve-O is, is there. So, Steve-O, if you want to add me on Skype... My Skype name is Kilowatt Zero. That's Kilowatt with a zero at the end. So you can add me, and then I can put you on when we get to the segment that you want to join me for. So let's jump right into the Newhouse thing. Mark Newhouse has done what I wish I could have done either year. I'll be happy with one final table at the main event. Forget two. But Mark Newhouse, who, by the way, did not finish with that good of a stack on day one. I, I think he finished with, like, less than starting stack, like 26K. Which, interestingly enough, is around what I had when I folded to that Euro who was bluffing me 
thinking, well, this is a stack that could possibly get worked back up. This is not a terrible stack to still have, which is the reason I folded rather than risk busting. Still a mistake, but uh, that was my thinking. Well, Mark Newhouse definitely proved that you can take a stack at the end of day one, like 20-something K, and win the main event. He has not won yet, but he is sitting pretty high up there in chips. Not chip leader, but he has a lot of chips compared to last year where he came in short stack to the final table. And he's going to be playing for the $10 million that is the top prize. He finished ninth last year. I see Chad Ellie just logged in as probably listening to the show and hello to him. And if, you know, if he wants to join in for the segment about um, the whole thing with the Utah attorneys general, I'd love to have him on because uh, he definitely had some involvement in that whole thing. You know, Chad Ellie is the payment processor who went to prison for about five months in relation to his processing activity. We had him on the show once on a special that was just an interview with him. But anyway, back to Newhouse. Um, Newhouse ran that 20-something K end of day one stack all the way to a final table at the main event that will be completed in November. Last year, also made a final table. Now, keep in mind, Mark Newhouse is not even a tournament specialist. This is not a guy who plays a million tournaments online. This is not a guy who travels the tournament circuit. I mean, he's played a fair number of tournaments, but this is not a professional tournament player. What Mark Newhouse mainly does is hang out at the Commerce Casino in L.A. and play cash games, usually limit hold'em. In fact, I played with him... um, I think I last played with him... It was this year. It was earlier this year I played with him in Commerce. But he's mainly a limit hold'em player like me. So when I see him do it, I'm like, wow. A limit hold'em player really can make it deep in the main event. <laughs> Makes me uh, want to try to do it myself. I mean, I try every year, but now this really, this really inspires me. But I'm not jealous. I'm actually happy for Mark Newhouse. I've spoken very positively about him on this show. And the way I've spoke, spoken positively about him is the fact that Mark Newhouse is a nice guy. I once described Mark Newhouse as being too nice for poker. He won a WPT event in 2006, and he was pretty new to the poker scene back then, for $1.5 million. And within a relative short time, he was broke. He blew all the money. But he didn't just blow it. Um, A lot of leeches took it from him. A lot of people befriended Mark Newhouse when he won in 2006. And I think he was only like 24 years old then or something. Uh, But they, or sorry, he's 21 years old, I think. Or 22, something around there. Something early 20s. But uh, he was a naive kid that was taken advantage of by people who saw a kid who was flush with cash that really wanted to make friends and was nice and was too trusting. And a lot of people borrowed money from him or, you know, hustled him into prop bets or whatever, and pretty soon all that money was gone. 
He also exercised poor bankroll management, degenerate gambling, and stuff like that. He lost the $1.6 million in a variety of ways. And by the way, I think he had a roll of about you know, 400K or so before winning that $1.6 million. So really, he shot off about $2 million and then additionally went into debt. And was borrowing from a lot of people. Not like Chino Ream. He wasn't lying to people and borrowing under false pretenses. People were staking him because he was a good player and because he was nice and they felt bad for him. Uh, I won't say who. I I don't want to reveal this because I I, I don't know. I don't really know these people that well, but I don't want to uh, blow up any spots here. But there were a husband and wife who play poker. And all I'll say is it's not Chip and Karina Jett. You're probably going to think of them first, but it's not Chip and Karina Jett. But a husband and wife who play poker, that um, the wife was loaning Newhouse money, and the husband had no idea about it. And I was told directly by the wife that if the husband found out, he would be furious. This is a number of years ago, by the way. Uh, I believe Newhouse has paid everyone off. I think he's paid everyone back, that is, that he borrowed from. But for that reason, Mark Newhouse didn't have very much money coming into this main event, and I think it's quite possible that he doesn't have all of himself. Mark Newhouse owed a lot of money. Mark Newhouse, of course, had to pay taxes on his win. Uh, He didn't have all of himself last year. When I spoke to him at Commerce this year, he told me that he really didn't have very much money. That um, despite winning 700-something thousand at the main event last year, he just didn't have that much of it uh, because of all those reasons. And it's understandable. And you have to realize Mark Newhouse is a good guy who, when he does owe money to people and he comes into money, he doesn't try to avoid these people. He pays his debts. I had a personal experience with Mark Newhouse about five or six years ago, where he did me a big favor that he didn't have to do, that he didn't gain anything from. He did the favor just to be nice. And I was never a close friend of his. He was someone I always got along with and would say hello to when I saw around, but he was never my close friend in any way, shape, or form. And he did a very nice favor for me that I'm not going to go into here, that he clearly did not have to do, and in fact, I didn't even ask him for it. So, Mark Newhouse is very well liked in poker. The ones who don't like him are the ones who are still angry about some of the things he did, really under the influence of some friends he had that weren't the best people. There were some people that... uh, talked him into multi-accounting and account sharing and all that on PokerStars. And uh, there was a scandal involving, you know, Chung Ho, a.k.a. Sally Wu, where they played him heads up and, you know, it, it was really Newhouse playing him and pretended to be something else. And, you know, Mark was definitely wrong there and he understands it. And he's not perfect. And I can tell you that Mark Newhouse did these things uh, because he had some shady friends from Commerce that were leading him to do stupid things. And I, that's not a an excuse because everybody's responsible for their own behavior. But I'm just telling you, uh, Mark Newhouse is never the type of guy to think, hmm, how can I cheat this guy? How can I get over on this guy? How can I mislead this guy? That's totally not him. And in the few cases where he didn't act completely honorably, it really really was because of the uh, friends leading him astray. 
But he's a lot more mature now than back in those days. And he's been swearing up and down in interviews that if he wins a lot of money here, that he will know how to handle it. We will see. I actually remember in 2006 when he won that WPT event. As I said, I wasn't friends with him, but I I saw what was going to happen. I knew what was going to happen. And I almost called him up. I had his phone number. I almost called him up and said, look, Mark, we're not really close friends. And I know it's not really my place to do this, but I think your money's going to be gone pretty soon if you don't listen to my advice here. And I was going to give him my advice on how to hold on to his money. But then I thought, you know what? That kind of makes me seem kind of like a douche. Like, you know, just calling the guy up and telling him what to do with his money when we're not even that close of friends. So I just didn't think it would be appropriate, even though it probably would have helped him. I mean, probably not. He probably wouldn't have listened to me anyway. But uh, after he blew it all, I thought, hmm, maybe I should have. But whatever Mark Newhouse comes away with here, whether he finishes ninth or first or somewhere in between, I hope he makes wise decisions with the money, and I hope he does not let his friends from Commerce some of whom I don't think very highly of, uh, borrow it from him or use it the wrong way. But we will see. I'll definitely be rooting for Mark. And, you know, if I had to pick a player who would do this, and I don't mean by his skill, but I mean by someone I'd like to see do this, uh, my number one choice is pretty obvious, me. But if it wasn't me... Um, my next choices would be people I'm closer friends with. But as far as peers in the community that I'm not friendly with, or not friends with, shall I say, uh, Mark Newhouse would probably be right up there at the top as far as people I'm not close friends with that I'd like to see do something like this. So how unusual is this? How uncommon is this? Well, there's you know, roughly 65, 6,600 people each year. And if you were a completely average player, the chance of making the final table in a field like that is 1 in 722. And if you were to do it in back-to-back years if you're only taking a two-year sample. That is, if you say, what's the chance of someone doing this in both 2013 and 2014 and, and asking this before either of those has been played? The chance for an average player doing that is 1 in 521,000. That was the chances of an average player coming into the 2013 World Series of final tabling both years, over 1 in 500,000. Now, I will say that Mark Newhouse is definitely an above-average player. But even if you want to say that Mark Newhouse is twice as good as the average player and twice as likely to make the final table than the average player, still... um, that leaves a, a chance of about 1 in 130,000 of doing it. It's just obscene of how unlikely that is for an individual to do this. Now, 
How unlikely is it that someone will do it? Because you know, we're saying an individual. We're saying like just pick a guy and say, what is the chances of that one guy doing it? Um, it's obviously a lot more likely when you have um, you know you, you have one year. There's going to be nine people making the final table no matter what. So then the next year, uh, basically you're looking at about a one in seven hundred chance for an average player, which these people are all very likely above average players who made the final table the previous year. But what I'm saying is it's not super super unlikely in that someone will do it, but to do it yourself is incredibly unlikely. And even for someone to do it, in two given years, it's still you know probably one in several hundred. And that's a lot, because if you think about it, that means you can go hundreds of years where this will never happen. So we may never see this again in our lifetime. Um, well, actually, it's not completely true because if, uh, you know, we're talking about any two year consecutive years, but yeah, yeah, I, I guess it is, uh, yeah, we, we may not see it again in our lifetime, honestly. I, I'm calculating this all on the fly, that's why I'm hesitating, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one in at least a few hundred, depending upon what skill you want to give Mark Newhouse or any of the final tableists credit for. Now, let's talk about Dan Harrington. Let's talk about Dan Harrington, because Dan Harrington won it, and then he made the final table the following year. And Dan Harrington bragged about this in kind of a unique manner uh, in the back of his uh, Harrington on Hold'em book. This is what it says on the back jacket of Harrington on Hold'em. Um, he won the World Series of Poker $10,000 buy-in main event in 1995. He was also the only player to make it to the final table in 2003 with 839 people and 2004, 2,576 people, which is considered by Kanyo Senti, or sorry, Kanyo Shenti, to be the greatest accomplishment in World Series of Poker history. So the Kalio Shenti apparently think that Dan Harrington has the greatest accomplishment ever at the World Series. <laughs> what does Dan Harrington mean by Kalio Shenti? And that's spelled C O G. N-O-S-C-E-N-T-I. Kalioshenti. Well, that means, like, someone in the know. That's what Kalioshenti is. I thought it's kind of funny to put that in the back of a poker book, a word like Kalioshenti, because nobody knows what that means. It's just like trying to show off that you can use a big vocabulary word. But anyway, the Kalioshenti are probably much more impressed by Mark Newhouse now because Dan Harrington made the final table with fields of 800-something and 2,500-something back at a time when there really were not that many good players in the field. Everyone was still learning back then. But now in 2014, you have a lot of good players in the main event of the World Series of Poker. So to 
navigate through much bigger fields of 6,500 or so each against a lot of really good players and still make the final table twice in a row, I think the Kanye Shenti are going to look away from Dan Harrington and look toward Mark Newhouse for the foreseeable future. So very impressive feat. And, you know, no matter what happens now in poker, I I think uh, Mark Newhouse will have a place in poker history. I don't know when the next time is we will see this happen or if this will ever be outdone in the main event. Especially with these field sizes and with uh, everyone's skill increasing. There's just too many good players in the field for this to happen very often. Anyway, good job. I'll see if at some point I can get Mark on the show. As I said, I have a good relationship with him. And I I didn't want to bother him now because I'm sure everyone's bothering him now. But I think we can get him on at some point. I think we can get him on. Conoscenti. (laughs) That's how you pronounce it. Conoscenti. I actually read that you can pronounce the word cognoscenti also. It doesn't have to be conoscenti. It can be cognoscenti. That's what I read. It can be either one. (laughs) If you go look at the Poker Fraud Alert radio reviews on iTunes, you will see that someone used the word conoscenti. When reviewing this show. So I've mentioned it before. I'm a a trailblazer here in that I I mentioned this word before Dan Harrington really made it back in the news because of uh, someone challenging his record. So I'll see if I can get Newhouse on maybe next week or the week after. But... I bet we can get him on. I think the most interesting things to talk about Mark Newhouse, uh, talk with Mark Newhouse about, would not really be, you know, hands he played at the main event, but more about his life beforehand, and maybe see if we can squeeze out of him how much of himself he really has. And he's the type of guy who might actually say, Mark Newhouse is pretty open with things. He's not a very secretive guy. So, moving away from Mark Newhouse and back toward the shady side of poker, which is mostly what the show is about and will be about tonight, an Indian tribe has started up what they call a legal poker room in the state of California. And when I first heard this, I said, what? They haven't even set down any laws or regulations. And I heard it would take over a year for that to happen once it passes. Like, like how is this even possible that uh, there could be a legal California poker room? 
But um, there is and there isn't. Let me explain. The Santa Isabel tribe in California has opened up a site called privatetable.com, exactly as it sounds, privatetable.com, which I think is kind of a stupid name for an online poker site, privatetable.com. I mean, it would be a good name if that was what they were doing, if it was just uh, private home games or something, but it's not. It's just what they're calling it, privatetable.com. And they claim they're going to accept real money deposits from California residents. Um, I mean, it should be happening already, but if it's not, it'll be very, very soon. I haven't checked on it in the last few days. Uh, They opened it with play money tables, and they were using the same software as the winning poker network, but they're not on the network. They're just using the software of the winning poker network which right now is being used by America's Card Room and True Poker. Although I don't think they have any connection to this site. They're just using the same software. Uh, But basically, um, they don't think that the legislation that's currently being debated in Sacramento, which is California's capital, is valid. Um, they are providing their games under an entity called Santa Isabel Interactive, and they claim they already have the right to offer these games for real money in California. So the reason they're claiming they have the right to do so, even though there are no laws passed in California allowing online poker at this time, is through this stupid argument that is related to what's called Indian sovereignty. And we're not talking about Indians like, uh, you know, those from India, but, you know, Native American is also referred to Indians. Um, You know, they all have their reservations and on the reservations, they actually have um, some some semblance of independence from the state and the nation. They can make a lot of their own laws and they don't have to follow certain laws that exist in uh, in the state and the nation. But they they can't do it completely. They're still physically part of the United States of America. They're still physically part of California, whatever state they're in. And um, their sovereignty only goes so far. Um, For example, they can't murder someone and say it's legal to commit murder on on the tribal land. And get away with it. That's an extreme example. But that is the reason that they're able to offer casino gambling on their reservations only and not, um, you know, people who are not, do not have Indian reservations can't do it. Now, of course, the state had to allow this. This wasn't always allowed, for example, in California to have Indian casinos. But once the state allowed it, uh, that was something the Indian tribes were able to do, whereas everyone else was not. So they're kind of extending this to say that they also have the right to provide legalized uh, online gaming in California. And this is, uh, their statement is that 
In offering online gaming through Santa Isabel Interactive, the tribe is exerting its sovereign right under the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, IGRA, to regulate and conduct Class 2 gaming from the tribe's reservation. Class 2 gaming, as defined by the IGRA, includes poker and bingo, but does not include slot-based house games or house-banked games, such as blackjack. House-banked games and slot machines are defined as Class 3 games and can only be offered in a tribal casino upon agreement with a state through a tribal gaming uh, compact. Santa Isabel has such a compact with a state since 2005, but has no plans to offer Class 3 gaming through its interactive website. So basically what they're saying is, uh, we have a right to offer Class 2 gaming, which includes poker, and we have a right to do so through online means without further permission from you, the state. Now, if we were to be trying to offer blackjack or slots or anything like that, that's a Class 3 game, and that we cannot do without uh, doing so, without getting a, a permission from the state to do so. But we can do this without your permission, so F you, we're doing it. That's basically uh, what they're saying. Now, let's see if uh, Steve-O wants to come on for this segment. I know he has an interest in this topic. And see if we can reach him here. Trying to call him on Skype. Steve-O, hello. Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you, but uh, are you on a speakerphone? Uh, I'm on a mic. On a mic, okay. It sounds a little like, I hear a lot of uh, background noise, like in the background. Oh, uh, that's my air conditioner. Hold on one second. Okay. <laughs> How's that? Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, there's no more hiss in the background. So you're not as clear as you could be. You know, this will be fine, especially since it's just one segment. So you said that you wanted to uh, come on and uh, talk about this matter as well, and I, I wanted to give you a chance to do so. Yeah, yeah. It's um, basically as you laid it out. In the opening, um, it's if you take the tribe at face value that they're actually interested in this, then it comes down to the class two argument, which for online poker is still totally undecided. Some people say it's okay to that online poker and online bingo also fall into class two gaming under IGRA, but other people are saying no, it doesn't. It basically depends on where you think the bet originates. Does it originate at the server on the tribal land, or does it originate at your computer where you're placing the bet? Mm -hmm. But there is a second issue, which is um, the revenue-sharing deal that's already in place in California. So California tribes that have a lot of gaming pay non-gaming tribes and smaller tribes over a million bucks a year each. If online poker is classified as class two, that doesn't fall into the revenue sharing deal. So they would have to redo a new deal. So basically, if this tribe gets their way, if it's even legitimate, I think it's more of a bluff on their part. If they get their way, it would just open up a whole new can of worms for California gaming. Now, you're saying a bluff on their part. What do you mean bluffing? You don't believe they're going to really offer these games? No, I, I think they're just trying to make sure that the online poker legislation that does get introduced in the state has revenue sharing for smaller tribes that do not get involved. It's going to be five or ten million bucks for a license, 
And basically, like tribes like Santa Isabella cannot afford that, so they can't. They have no chance to be involved. So the larger tribes, like the Morongos, have already stated that they want to do revenue sharing on online poker as well. So this seems like a play by Santa Isabella, maybe you know, reading deeper into it, that they're being goaded into it or backed by a larger tribe to make this push so that the legislation that does get introduced has some type of revenue sharing deal. Do you have any knowledge as to whether or not they are taking real money bets yet? No, they are not. They was they said they first um, they were going to start Monday, which never happened. And they put out an announcement saying that next week they're going to announce when they're going to launch. So basically an announcement to an announcement to an announcement. Yeah, I thought it was funny that they were saying the ways you can deposit are with some uh, some kind of payment service called FinPay, or you can go onto the tribal land to the smoke shop and deposit there. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that those are the two funding options are FinPay and a smoke shop on their tribal if, land? I mean, it's, it's laughable. If you go to that FinPay website, it's pretty bad. Like, there, are, you can't even sign up for their e-wallet. Yeah, on the website, it's but, just and it, and the owner has some history with other payment processors where he's bankrupted them and owes money and. Yeah, the whole thing is so shady and and like I posted on the site here, if this really does get going, I know there's going to be some people who are just going to be itching to play online poker that's quote legal, but the problem here is, if this goes under, if you actually play on there, you have a balance and you want to get paid and then they can't pay you. There really is no one to collect from because the tribe, from what I can tell, is basically broke. And, you know, good luck squeezing any money out of them. So and if they're not really playing any under any kind of California regulations, uh, you're just as screwed as you would be if an offshore site stole your money. Uh, would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, it's probably actually worse than that. Um, when I was reading into the tribe itself, when they're cause when they closed their casino, they owe like uh, fifty million dollars, I think was the number. They tried to declare bankruptcy, but because they're a tribe, they can't. So you couldn't even. They can't even declare bankruptcy if they owe you money. It's just like a debt that never gets paid. Where at least in a bankruptcy court, if they seized assets or whatever, you maybe get some money back eventually. In this case, it doesn't seem like you can get anything wow. back. So yeah, it's a, so definitely this is a tribe that has no money, and if you have a balance on there without any kind of state regulation protecting you, uh, you really are risking your money just as much as you would be on one of these illegal offshore sites. In fact, as you said, it's probably worse because at least like Bovada, they have a name to protect and they've been around forever. You know, they're probably not going to cheat you. Um, of course, there's the ones like Lock Poker that are going to cheat you, and then there's the ones in the middle like Merge and. Uh, you know, the winning poker network, which are slow paying people, but are, are still paying. So I would actually, other than lock, which is a straight up scam at this point, I would rather play on one of the illegal sites right now open to Americans than I would on this thing. Right. And then you have Bovada still operating in California. So why would you choose to put your money on this site? which is going to have a smaller player base. It's going to have probably worse cash cash out options. Yeah. 
as opposed to Bavada. I mean, you're dealing with the same thing. You're not dealing with a like at least if it was a regulated site, you could say, okay, there's some player oversight. You know, my funds are protected, so I'll go to the smaller player pool. But in this case, you don't have any of that. Yeah, and one other thing. I don't know where they're going to get their players because other than the diehard poker forum you know, news watchers who uh, follow this really closely, the average poker player is going to have no idea this is running. They, they can't afford any money for marketing or anything like that. So where are they going to get their players anyway? Yeah, they've been social media blasting stuff, but they're like retweeting articles that are critical of them. I think they're just <laughs> anything that pops up with the name private table, they're retweeting because <laughs> there's been a few critical articles that they've retweeted. That shows how out to lunch they are that they're even retweeting yeah. those. So yeah, this is very shady, obviously, and not a good idea to take part in as a player, but I, uh, I appreciate your insight in this. I didn't know a lot of these facts that you mentioned and, uh, and for those of you that didn't catch it, they did have, a brick-and-mortar casino, which went under. So that's already a bad sign for this uh, this tribe of Santa Isabel. So, you know, if it was a large tribe doing this, like let's say Morongo just decided that they're, they're going to do this, at least you can say, well, Morongo has that big casino, they have deep pockets, you know, they're not going to screw me, but this, this tiny tribe, you can't, can't even begin to trust them. Yeah, there is a case to be made for this argument over whether online poker is class two gambling, which if it is, like if it ever got to that point where a court decided, yes, it falls under class two, that would like upset the whole apple cart because basically any tribe could just lease out their tribal land to an online poker site and we'd be back in business in the U.S. So there is an actual argument to be made here. Some people are saying that this is a good thing, that this tribe is doing that. Now this uh, this guy, uh, Vinko Dorbsevic, uh, what do you know about him? Dorbsevic. Dorbsevic, that's um, how you say it. Yeah, that. he's the the guy who's behind the uh, winning poker software, correct? Yeah. Yeah, he's, I, I don't know much about him. I, he, I, I looked into him earlier today. Apparently he used to work at the Venetian. <laughs> from like ninety nine to two thousand six. Well, it's funny which is because interesting. yeah, I I heard he used to run the PokerKing dot com site, and um, I don't know if he or I guess he owns the PokerKing dot com. I don't know if he was the original guy running PokerKing dot com, but PokerKing dot com was kind of like a an affiliate site that was doubling as a news site, and whoever it was used to read Never Win Poker, and like this guy even wrote about, I don't know if it's this guy, but whoever ran PokerKing.com sometimes wrote about me. And uh, when I saw PokerKing.com, I go, oh, I remember that. It's like this really weird logo of like a, a king with uh, holding cards. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if he's the original owner. I know he's still with that. And I think they actually have an online poker room on Winning Network right now. Yeah. But it's not that is not available to U.S. players. Yeah, and I guess they got rid of their content on there. The whole thing's kind of weird. So anyway, uh, thank you for your insight on all this. We're gonna call up uh, Michael Borovitz next. I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens with this, and if they really try to make a go of it, or if, like your theory is, they're just trying to bluff to force the hand of the other tribes in a revenue sharing matter. 
So yeah, that's basically that's how I see it happening. Is that it's more of a bluff. I mean, if they if they are going for it, then great. Let's see how it works out. But pretty small tribe, kind of sketchy. Other corporations and entities working with them. So yeah, I definitely don't trust them. So okay, thank you very much, Stevo. All right, sorry. thanks. So that was Stevo, and uh, even turned off his air conditioner for us in the dead of summer. That's uh, very nice of him. <laughs> All right, let's try to call up Michael Borovitz now and hear about why he was scamming people at airports to get gambling money and what his future holds if he's not going to continue scamming, which I know he's going to tell us that he's not going to do. So we're going to hear what his plans are and why he did all this in the first place. If he answers the phone, of course. Why isn't this ringing? There we go. Hello? Hello, is this Michael PSU Mike 1999 Borovitz? It is. Is this Todd? This is Todd. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Dreff and Friends show. I'm calling you here at 730 on the dot. Tonight we're doing everything on time for once. And, Thank you. Uh, and w- welcome to the show. And we, yeah, as you ha- have you heard the segments where I've talked about you uh, up until now? Uh, I heard uh, some of them. I don't think I've heard all of them. Okay. I've heard, heard bits and pieces. I mean, I the reason I, I, I texted you was I did hear the part uh, that that I disagreed with. Um, the, the I think the second time you spoke about me a few weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. So. As I've said, as I said to you in the text messages, as I said tonight on the show already, and I'll say it again, anybody who wants to come on this show, no matter what they're accused of, can do so, because I want everybody that I talk about to be able to give their side of the story or explain why they did what they did. So that's why you're on this show here. Obviously, I don't approve of a lot of your behavior that uh, took place involving the scamming at airports and all that stuff, but... uh, um, we're having you on here so people can hear what is what was in your mind when these things happened, uh, what you plan to do in the future, and and all that stuff. And I have a few other questions for you as well, and then we'll even take a few questions from the chat room. So why don't you start out and uh, tell us um, basically what was your uh, what, what was the first time you scammed? And why did it happen? When was this and why? Well, I mean, uh, it all stemmed from a gambling addiction. I mean, it's, it's you know, I'm not going to rehash. I mean, that would waste a lot of time. And it's definitely been, I, I wrote about it um, that, you know, anyone, any of your listeners can read about. But basically, to, to answer your question, um, it was it was from gambling. I mean, it was, it was you know, I was broke at it, it I lost my money gambling, lost some jobs, and, you know, I, I would say the first, you know, real, quote, scam was the whole thing uh, in California when I was broke, and I was basically living in casinos and hanging out there, and, 
you know, I was approached by a couple guys, very seedy guys, but I guess they had seen me at the casino every day and they offered me an opportunity to get some easy money and I was desperate and I was very, 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 very broke and I uh, jumped at the chance. I mean, obviously looking back now, I, I don't know why I even agreed to do anything like that. Uh, you know, they told me that they had a guy that worked at a company and that the company was getting checks paid out to the company and that the guy could switch the checks to my name and they could pay them out to me. And if I had a checking account, I could put the checks in my account and we can split the money. And um, I was like, how much is this? Oh, these are $10,000 checks, $15,000 checks. So, and we'll split it three ways. And so I'm thinking, oh, wow, three, four, five grand a pop. I'm broke. I mean, I, you know, to go from nothing to three, four, five thousand, you know, in a few days, you know, that just was, that lit up for me. So I said, sure. And then they're like, well, you know, you're not going to get in trouble. Even if you get caught, it would be a couple years. And, you know, uh, you didn't really, you know, it, it, the statute of limitations would run out. And I'm just like agreeing with the guy. I'm like, I wasn't even really concerned at the time. I'm just like, okay, whatever. You know, uh, you know, I'm not killing anybody. I'm just putting bad checks in my account. So, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, uh, you know, so that was really my first scam. Um, you know, I, I put the checks in the account and, you know, the bank got suspicious because I was withdrawing the checks pretty quickly to get the money. Uh, even though there was supposed to be a 10 to 15 day waiting period, I wanted the money right away because I was broke. And they had made some exceptions because I was a good customer at the bank. But after the third day of trying to withdraw, like, big amounts of money, the bank got suspicious. And then they kept me there and called the police. And the police came and arrested me after doing a little bit of an investigation. And those two guys split. Never saw them again. I couldn't even tell you what they looked like. I, You know, I just saw them for about a week at the casinos, and that was it. Um, and then once I got in trouble, they're gone and I took the fall and that was the start of me with the scams and me getting in trouble with the, with the law. So what year was this? That was in 2000 and that was in 2000. That was in oh, wow. 2000. Okay. So, so this is 14 years ago and you were depositing, uh, basically phony checks into your, uh, bank account. Uh, well, altered checks, well, altered, altered, checks. checks. altered checks. Okay. Right. And, uh, yeah. you know, some guys brought this to you and, uh, you were of course the, the fall guy and they would just take their cut yep. and run off. Uh, so that was the start and you did this because you were desperate for money for gambling. And so this started a string of behavior that persisted all the way through this year, 14 years later, where you would, uh, run some sort of scam to get gambling money. Now, um, you did run up your bankroll at various times, didn't you? You run it up over 100k a, a few times. Yeah, uh, I, I, I ran it. Up, I ran it up. The, the highest I ever, the most I ever had was 150k, a uh, give or take. And then I, a couple times, I ran it up to 100,000, 90,000. But you know, obviously, you know, obviously, looking back now, I would, I would, you know, love to have that money. But at the time, you know, you have the money, and you, you then, then, like as a gambler, a compulsive gambler, you just start justifying trying to get more you know you don't you don't realize you know i mean when you're broke you appreciate that tremendously but when you have that much money on you it just changes your thinking i mean it go you go from being broke to being able to pretty, pretty much afford whatever you want and uh you know you start just telling yourself that you know now i have a big bankroll so i could make more money i mean it's just a never-ending cycle so you know unfortunately uh that's kind of what's happened i've, I've had a few big scores and 
you know, I've had, you know, not just a hundred thousand, I mean, I've had 20, 30, 40, 50,000, I would say, you know, probably a couple dozen times. Uh, but each time, you know, it's never enough. And I try to win more and more until it's all gone. And I go back and start the same cycle again, trying to get money any way I can and to go back and gamble. It's like a never ending cycle, Todd. Now, you said in your post that your game of choice that was really killing you here was PyGal. And right. I, I'm trying to understand. Now, PyGal, you have to know, has a pretty big house edge. How, how did you ever expect to make money at PyGal? Uh, well, well I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, that's a good question. I'll tell you real quick. I, I learned it in California when I moved there because um, that was like the game of choice in the card rooms was PyGal Poker. And um, I, I just, I don't know, I, I just fell in love with it because everybody was playing it. Um, I, you know, I was tired of blackjack. I mean, I was playing blackjack a lot before then. And, you know, I wasn't counting cards or anything, so I wasn't trying to do that. But I, I just, I don't know, Pi Gal, I just got hooked with it. And even though there was like a house edge, like I always felt like I could, like the, the edge was smaller than the other games, you know? And like, you know, I always tried to find an edge for myself. Like, for example, a lot of the casinos, they let you like, like the other players that would have their cards, you know, you could look at the other players' cards while you're setting your hand and you know how many aces are out. If someone has the joker, you know, that, so you, you can kind of know like how to set the hand to give you a little edge. And then there's like four burn cards in Pi Gal Poker that they burn and like sometimes the dealer would show the burn card like they're not like careful to put them you know uh at, at the bottom when they burn them and you know you can see like what oh you know what's what's out there in the burn card so i tried to look for any edge that i could and that was when i played pi gal poker and then probably around 06 or 07 i learned pi gal tiles and that's where i won 150,000 um but i just i just someone told me the tile game is even better than the poker game so i studied how to play that game and then once I learned that, I just, you know, basically started playing that nonstop. And I don't play Pygal poker, haven't played Pygal poker very much since then. So that's really where, where the Pygal love came in. And you, uh, when you would run up the bankroll really high, you would lose it back incredibly quickly, right? I would. Well, well, it's funny. I mean, it depends. Like if I if I ran it up to like five, ten thousand, a lot of times I would just lose it that night. That, but if I let's say got on a really big streak, like the second, the, the first, the, the second night the win Las Vegas opened. I didn't put this in my in my post, but I, I went there with um, I went there with uh, five, well, actually, it's funny. The night before, I played some pie gal and I won like five grand, and I took it to win. When they open, they have this big opening weekend, and like you know, a lot of celebrities were there. So I walk in, and the whole hotel is booked, and I'm walking; it's packed. So I sit down at the pie gal table with like five grand, and I turn it into ninety thousand. And they give me everything. I mean, I, I could not lose a hand for an hour. It was pie gal poker I was playing, and I, I won ninety thousand. I actually won a hundred and ten thousand. I lost twenty thousand back. And I left with 90 and they gave me a suite and they gave me everything. And I, you know, and I, I, I felt like I was again on top of the world. That was the most money I ever won at, the, at to that time. And, and then, you know, I stayed there and I, I asked for an, a, a, a week of free rooms. They gave it to me. They gave me anything I wanted. And then, you know, within a day or two, I lost all of it back. I, I mean, I was a quick, I, I, cause I was betting 10,000 a hand. I, wow. I have 90,000. I'm not going to sit there and bet 500. I want to bet, I want to bet a lot. I want to bet the max bet to try to win quick. 
But, of course, you know, you can't really do that in the long term in deep casinos. So I ended up losing it all back. And then I just was so depressed. I stayed in my room, and I kept ordering room service, and I wouldn't leave the room. And then the, I would get a call from the casino host, you know, we, Mr. Borovitz, we haven't noticed you played in five days. I said, oh, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm getting a wire sent. I'm going to be playing soon. So, you know, I kept using the comps and using the – and finally they just threw me out. I and mean, they said, listen, you've been staying here for a week. You haven't played. You know, so the, basically when you're broke, they don't care. You know, if you don't gamble in their specific – requirements and they kick you out doesn't oh, yeah. matter if you could yeah i've talked about that, before. that? I, i've talked about that before where casinos they, they they have very much what have you done for us lately attitude and yes. lately sometimes yes. is, lately is either now or if it's in the past it's only because the past indicates the future and if they get an idea that there is no future for you gambling there then they they want nothing to do with you so i can totally exactly i can totally understand that and uh, now you got yourself in in actually some trouble with uh, with another hotel uh, that was in New York, right? Yeah, that's that's what landed me in prison. Uh, you know, and and, and, I, and I honestly, I I blame you know part of it. I think was I think an overzealous uh, um, prosecution for something like this. Because, um, but I, I'll tell you the story real quick. I won um, one hundred fifty thousand dollars in at uh, in Las Vegas playing Pie Got Tiles. Uh, in the end of 2007, and I flew down to uh, New York, stayed at a hotel by the airport at LaGuardia. Uh, my sisters live in Manhattan. I went to visit them, and you know they're like, you know, Michael, you should let you know let our parents hold the money. Let me hold the money. You're going to lose it, you know, because they knew I have a gambling problem. And I told them, no, 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 I'm not going to lose it. But of course, I did. I went up to Mohegan Sun Casino and uh, I lost everything in about 40 minutes. I was, you know, betting 10,000 a hand. They had security guards guarding me. I was betting so much. Like all the Asian people that usually play Pi Gal, you know, you know, I was the only white guy, you know, and they're watching me shocked. I'm betting like 10,000 a hand. I didn't win a hand. I don't think I lost everything. So I went back to the hotel and I proceeded to stay there for weeks without paying, giving them excuses and whatnot. Then I, was ended. I ended up getting um, arrested for uh, not being able to pay the bill, which was close to five thousand. Uh, so you know, I'm cutting through a lot of the details, but basically, I was. Yeah, you know, I went to Rikers Island. They set bail at twenty five thousand. They said I was a flight risk, and you know, I, I, I didn't have a home, and blah blah blah. You know, even though I owed forty nine hundred, you know, to the that's all I owed. They they set bail at twenty five thousand. So I, I you know I, I stayed on Rikers Island, and they put me into this mental health court. And they wanted me to go to a program in place of jail and prison. And, you know, they didn't have a gambling program. They only had drug and alcohol. So I had to lie and tell them I was an alcoholic, even though I don't drink. And so they they, they released me to this inpatient program. And I was supposed to stay in the program for a year. And then they would reduce the felony to a misdemeanor. And I ended up splitting the three different programs. Um, I just – I relapsed and I wasn't doing well and I didn't I wasn't getting help with the gambling for the first two programs and the last one I was doing well for a while they put an ankle bracelet on me because they were tired of me leaving and then once they took the ankle bracelet off I screwed up so anyway they uh, finally had enough of me running away and they put me into prison I was sentenced to one to three years in state prison in, in New York with um, uh, uh, parole after that and I went to F uh, Fishkill Correctional Facility I did a year. I was paroled in 2011, and I was released off of parole a year later. So, 
You know, I went from $150,000, Todd, you know, with, with, you know, I could have basically started a new life, you know, and had that money last me for a long time to about a month later getting locked up in New York um, and, you know, getting a felony and getting, having five years in the New York state justice system uh, before ultimately going to prison. So it just shows you how gambling and how insidious the, the addiction is, you know, what it can do to you. Yeah, so I, you know, this whole story with the hotel and the, the going to prison, I have a few questions with that. Um, so first of all, why did you stay at that hotel? I mean, once you blew all the money at uh, well, Mohegan Sun, wherever you went, um, right. and you were broke and you knew where you were broke and you lied to them and said, oh, I have money coming, but you know, you knew there was no more, no more money coming. Why did you stay there? Did you not believe that there would be any consequence for that or were you too depressed to care? Why did you stay for like a month? It, 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 it was honestly, most of it was too depressed to care, to be honest. I mean, and the second thing was that, you know, there was a little part of me that, you know, I was, I was an elite member of the brand and I, I felt like, you know, uh, eventually, like, I didn't think like they were just going to come one day and like send security up and, you know, keep me there until the police came. I thought like I would basically have adequate warning to just like kind of get out. And then, you know, I was basically going to stiff them out of the bill and justify it in my head and then pay them whenever I hit a score or something. I mean, you know, this is, I wasn't thinking clearly, you know, I, I just lost 150,000. My parents were not speaking to me. My sisters weren't speaking to me. And uh, I was just lonely and depressed, and I just wasn't thinking clearly. So I just stayed in there. You know, I was basically living there, you know, by myself, just depressed, and I didn't think clearly. I mean, obviously, again, it's another thing we're looking back, like, come on, what am I doing? I mean, obviously, I know, but I, I didn't know that this was going to get me prison. I didn't know that how serious New York justice is. I mean, I didn't know any of this. It was yeah. just... I was just depressed, you know, okay, and I didn't so, take it seriously. Uh, the better question that I have is once you did get arrested and then you actually got somewhat of a stroke of luck there in that they weren't making you go to prison and were going to make you go into uh, a program instead. And I understand that you said that they didn't have a gambling thing, so you had to make up being an alcoholic. But once you did right. that and you got out of the prison, um, why didn't you go to the program? Why did you – I Not did. Doing. I was there. I was. I was in. I was in an inpatient program in Queens, and I did four months of it. But I. I don't know. I was. You know. I don't know if you've ever heard of what these programs are like. But you know, most of them are parolees. You know, jail. Jail kind of people. And I. They were. I just didn't fit in. Like I was kind of getting picked on. I wasn't. I wasn't really getting anything out of it. I was getting. I just. I wasn't. In, I wasn't feeling comfortable there. And I eventually. I just let the best. You know, my willpower was gone, and I just made up some justification in my head that I want to I want to run away. And I did you think I, they were going to catch you eventually? Did you think you'd actually? Yeah, end up in I mean, prison? of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew they would catch me, but I, I I don't know. Again, like when you're when you're in kind of this sick of a, as an addict, you don't really think of the consequences until they're actually happening. You just justify in your head some reason why it's good to do what you're doing and then whatever happens happens so like when i ran away i knew that there was going to be a warrant issued for me i knew that the uh the agencies in, in the district attorney's office would realize i left i knew that my legal aid lawyer would know and you know i just said heck with it you know who cares i'm leaving and I did that, and I mean, I had numerous chances. I mean, you're right. I mean, that's a that should be your next question. You know, you you know, you were given three or four chances. I mean, you had to realize that you know they're not going to keep giving you chances. And I did realize that, but ultimately, I just didn't care. I just I wanted the instant gratification. I wanted to feel 
better. I wanted to be free and, and feel better at that short moment. And then obviously I, I felt awful later on when I went to prison. Yeah. You know? So someone asked in the chat room, do you, did you ever think of fleeing to another country once you ran off from the program? No, I didn't. I don't have a passport. I've never been overseas. Um, and I think, I, I don't think that, uh, from what I was understanding about it, um, if you have a warrant or something like a felony warrant, like they run your name and they would send you back. And even if they didn't, like I would be able to come back to the U.S. Uh, without dealing with this, uh, which basically would mean I'd have to be in a foreign country forever. Um, and I, and I, but I, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with that. I mean, so I, I basically didn't even think about that. I, I maybe thought about it for half a second, but that's it. Okay. And, um, when you were in prison, um, you know, you, you hear all these rumors about what prison is like, uh, and you were in a real prison. Not, we're not talking about just a, a county jail or a lockup. This no, is a I was real in prison. real prison. I was, prison. I was in Downstate, which is a reception center, and then I was in uh, Fishkill. So it was no, it was not fun, believe me. Yeah, so so what was it like in there? You said people picked on you at the uh, this inpatient program what about this uh the prison had to be worse as far as how people treated you it, 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 prison was worse and then it got a little bit better i mean the the, the, the co's picked on me you know they're they're anti-semitic uh a lot of them don't like jewish jewish people i'm jewish and you know i i would get picked on by co's i was set up a couple of times by co's i had to go to the uh to the box they call it which is like solitary confinement so I went there um, for a couple of times. Um, I I was you know beat up by one CO kind of you know he he gave me a black and blue mark on my shin. He like kicked me with his boot to spread my legs. Like it was a setup because I I wanted to get out of the dorm I was in because the COs were anti-Semitic. And then uh, so it, it wasn't great. I mean, a, a couple inmates looked after me though. They you know they they felt I shouldn't even be there. They're like you know you're not a criminal. You're a nuisance. You know I, I'm you know why are you in here for this? This is ridiculous. You know these guys have been down for twenty thirty years for murder and 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 serious crimes. And you know they're like this is this is nonsense. So so, so, so the you know, problem I, you actually I, had in prison was not even from the other inmates. It was from the correctional officers. Well, exactly. It was from the COs mostly. Yeah. Mm. All right, so um, so you got out of there, and um, that wasn't the end of, of scamming for money to play uh, to play pie gal or other uh, forms of gambling with. Uh, then you started this airport thing, and that's what... I started the airport thing before that. I just wasn't oh, okay. doing it like I mean, I started really doing it. You know, it just depended on the situation. But yeah, I, I really I went back to the airport thing after I got out of prison to get money together and everything like that. And then, you know, I, I, I hooked up with, you know, a guy that passed away, you know, a little man, Mike Sika, and he started backing me in tournaments. That's how I kind of got back into that mix and uh, started playing poker tournaments. And, you know, my goal was, and his goal was for me not to have to go to the airport anymore. You know, I wanted to hit a big score, blah, blah, blah. Just never happened. I came close, but it never happened. So, that's what that's kind of what happened after prison with the whole airport thing. I kind of, you know, was on and off, you know, when I needed to do it in my justification when I was broke or anything. You know what I mean? Once yeah. little man got canceled, it really took off because he's in the hospital, he's sick, and I'm like basically with nothing and I don't have anything and nobody's looking out for me and I'm like I need some money. So that's when I would go to the airport the most. So you, when you went to the airport, uh, the basic scam we were running was that. Uh, 
your flight got canceled and you, your your plans were uh, all messed up and you had nowhere to go and nowhere to stay and you needed like uh, three hundred dollars cash. Was that basically the story? No, I, I no, I didn't ask for three hundred usually. I just said I need money for a hotel and you know they asked you how much was it and I would say it just depended. You know I found a a, a Radisson for one thirty nine. I found a Holiday Inn for one fifty nine. And then you know if the guy was going to lend me a couple hundred, I would try to get more. You know, hey, can you do an extra hundred for food? You know, I mean, I just was pretty ballsy you know and so that's what that's what it was okay and did these people question like how come the airline's not taking care of you because that's very standard when the airline cancels flights they set you up with a hotel or with a food fast yeah well they don't always question but when they do i, I had an answer for it i mean again todd i've been doing this for years so i have an answer to all their questions well, what, what I mean. was the answer to that if, if i asked you when you were scamming uh, why didn't the airline set you up with it why, what was the answer i said that? because because it, it, it was there was bad weather back east and they don't give they don't give hotel vouchers for weather. It's an act of God. It's Mother Nature. So they don't they only do it for mechanical failures or if they bump you off a flight. I see. So, uh, so now Adam Schwartz actually asked in the chat. He's the the host of the Two Plus Two Poker Cast, and he listened to this show. He said he's curious about some of the interesting things that happened when you were running the airport scam. Uh, so. He wants to know, do you have any good stories about either really nice people that were surprisingly more generous than you expected or or ones that saw through you and called you out as a scammer? Well, I mean, again, doing this for years on and off, like you meet a lot of different people. I mean, I've had guys, I mean, I've had a, a, a dozens and dozens, dozens and dozens of offers to like for me to stay at these people's houses, you know, oh, I live in, in such and such 10 minutes from the airport. You can stay in a guest room and then I'll drive you to the airport tomorrow. You know, like, obviously I'm not interested in that. I'm looking for money. So I would say, oh no, you know, I want to be near closer than that because, uh, you know, I'm going to try to go on standby. You know, I always have to try to come up with an excuse to get money. You know, as, as for the generosity, I mean, you know, some a lot of believe it or not, a lot of people just gave me two, three hundred, said keep it, I don't want it back. Your story is the best I've ever heard, so you know you deserve it. Like I've had that happen tons of times. They go, you know, buddy, I don't usually give money, but you know that's a great story. Here's two hundred, enjoy, and they just walk away. You know, so that's uh, and I've also run into the same people like at different airports, like years later. They, hey, you know, I gave you two hundred dollars in Chicago and, you know, now you're in Denver four years later, you know, that kind of thing. So, I mean, that, that's that's kind of stuff that's happened. So you'd actually run into the same people sometimes who you scammed before at, at the airport, a different airport. And then they'd uh, what would they say? Like what, you'd, you'd hit them with the same story or you, they'd see you running the same story. They would what, what see would... me talking to somebody and they would approach me and say, hey, you know, you gave me, you know, a story four years ago and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. But they said, you know, are you, are you, why are you doing this? Like, are you down on your luck? And I'd say, you know, kind of my life's kind of a mess. They go, well, whatever. I mean, you know, they, they didn't. Really, I mean, this happened only a few times, but, you know, they just kind of wrote it off. You're like, you know, whatever. And, and uh, but yeah, it's just kind of, it's kind of strange. You know, you see the same guy like four years later. And I had to, some people say, you know, I, I, I didn't give me any money, you know, say, hey, I saw you doing this in Chicago and, you know, and, uh, you know, you're still doing this, huh? You know, you're that broke and that kind of thing. Did you so, ever have um, any uh, confrontations where people were sure you were trying to scam them and were getting aggressive with you, like they were going to fight you or something? Did you ever have any? No, no. These are businessmen and stuff, so they're not. They they, they they would call the police or they would say, you know, ask for the police to come, you know, and, and 
say this guy I think is running a scam, this guy's bothering people for money, and then I'd have to explain to the police what's going on, you know? So that that happened a few times. Now, you got arrested, though, at LAX, I think it was in May of this year. So how did that happen? Yes. It, it, was, it was for the same thing. I was going to LAX, and, you know, I was getting money and then gambling and then getting money and gambling. And so I was there all the time, and, you know, so finally uh, finally they uh, had enough of me. I was there, like, for three weeks at that airport, and um, I, I hit a guy up, and he gave me, like, 20 bucks. But, like, I guess a police officer witnessed it and pulled me aside and, and talked to the guy. And, and the guy didn't even want the money back, but um, they saw me get money from somebody. So they arrested me for solicitation of, you know, funds at an airport. And so I went to uh, jail, and I got released right away for that, and um, they gave me a court date. I see. So that was, that I, I have was a... the situation. A person uh, asked the following. He said, um, he asked if you remember that a somewhat well-known Jewish poker player that uh, loaned you $200, and then you were seated next to this person at a poker tournament two years later, and right when you saw that this person seated next to you, you paid this person back right away. Um, Do you remember this or who this might be? Um, well, I, I think, I think, but it's, I don't know if it's 200. I, if the one I'm thinking of, it's, it would, it was $300, not 200. Okay. But, well, the person said, uh, uh, that you hit them up at the airport originally saying, uh, you're Jewish and I'm Jewish. Can you help me? Yeah. Yeah. That's the same person. Then I paid him back. I paid him back. This year, right? Is that is that the I'm same not sure guy? It was this year, but the, you happened to be sitting next to the guy at a poker table, and uh, noticed it was him, and were probably embarrassed that you you were you were playing a poker tournament and hadn't paid this guy back yet, and you just handed. Well, him he didn't money. remember me, but uh, he didn't even remember me uh, from that. But I, I I went up to him and I said, I, uh, "Yeah, I know who it is. I paid him back. I gave I gave yeah, three hundred yeah. back." So so that brings yeah. up another point here is um, when you were running these. Airport scams. Some of them would just be businessmen you never see again, uh, but other people would be ones like you know people in poker, or whatever that you might see at some point again. Uh, I know you reasoned to yourself at the time that you would pay them at some point, but when you would right. see these people again, would you feel an urge to pay them if you had the money, or were you only going to be paying? Yeah, them I, 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 no, 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 no. Let me interrupt. You. I, I, I did, and and you know I, I paid. You know that's the thing. Like with, with the poker, I stopped stop scamming poker players for the most part. I mean, I guess the, the guy at the airport was an exception, but, um, you know, back in 05, 06, I wrote in, 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 in the post that I did, you know, I was pretty much out of control. I mean, I was, I was trying, I wasn't asking for a couple hundred. I was asking for thousands just to go play pie gal. So I was, I was going up to, you know, well-known poker players. I'm not going to mention the names cause I don't really think it's fair to them, but they would lend me money uh, you know, two, three, four thousand, five thousand dollars on on a on a on a uh, pretense that I was getting some wire sent to me or whatever, and I was just gamble it right away. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I I, I didn't have I didn't have any, any fear back then. I, I didn't care. I was just so addicted. I didn't expect poker to be any kind of long term thing anyway. I saw it on TV. I liked it. I was playing for a little bit. I mean, I didn't know that I was gonna you know try to keep playing this for years and years. I you know it was just part of you know. There's a lot of 
a lot of money was flowing back then, 05, 06. So I was just like, any way I can get money to go play pie gals. All I thought about, Todd, was just playing pie gal, playing, you know, taking – 3,000 and running it up to 30 or 40, even though I would have lost it anyway. I just was just, I was sick. I just wasn't thinking clearly. So now like, you know, there's, there's, I don't, you know, as you know, I, I probably, I don't know if you know, but I wasn't going up to poker players now doing that. I mean, that was like years and years ago for me. Now it's just going to the airport, like hitting up just strangers, you know? Yeah. So the guy who called you out on two plus two, uh, David Gzesh, who's the actually the founder of uh, True Poker. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, yeah, when you hit him up for money, and this just happened in June, uh, did you right. do this knowing that he was someone from poker, or was it coincidence? I didn't know him at all. No, of course not. If I if I saw it, if I knew he was from poker, I wouldn't have asked him. But I, I didn't. I didn't know. I mean, literally, he. You know, he. I mean, he kind of exaggerated it a little bit. I never told him I was booked at the Ramada because if I was booked at the Ramada, then obviously I would have had money to pay for the Ramada. I can't. I'm not going to be booked at a hotel if I don't have the money. Yeah, to I pay didn't for understand it. that either. It's okay. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of changed the story a little bit. I basically told him that I I was gonna, you know, I wanted a uh, money for a room, and then once he said that, you know, he was going to put it on his credit card, I, I was trying to change the story that, you know, so I might fly to a different city, and they might fly me out of this city, and I found the Ramada. But I, I told him I wasn't I wasn't sure if I was going to stay there yet, and he just like got angry and just uh, I guess he had given me his business card. He just yanked it back and walked away. Mm-hmm. I mean, I spent literally two minutes with the guy, but he went into this big long story, and you know, so I I, I mean, but whatever. I mean, the, the whole gist of the story was true, though. I basically did approach him and you know try to give him a story to get money. So that's you know that's really just the, the truth gist of it. You know. Now, um, how much did you? I know you didn't keep a running tally on this probably, but how much do you think Lifetime, ignoring the uh, the bank scam, but uh, in, how much did you scam from individuals total Lifetime, do you think? I really, honestly, you know, I, I, that's been asked to me. I don't even know. I mean, I really don't know. It just I, I can't even put a number on it. I mean, I went months and months without doing it, you know, like, you know, when Little Man was backing me and stuff, like I wasn't going to the airport at all, and I had everything, like, you know, I was doing pretty well, and then, like, once he got sick, then I started going a lot. I mean, I don't know. It just depends. I mean, I, I really can't even put a number on it. I, I'm not just uh, – you know, I think I've been pretty forthright and on and open with you. I, I just don't have any idea. I have no no idea. I mean, you know, sometimes you go to an airport, you're – you know, everyone's giving you money. Other times, you know, they're, they're telling you to get lost. I mean, so. Yeah, now, uh, someone asked uh, in the chat – did you ever look into any jobs programs that were for ex-offenders with a felony record? Did you ever try to no. look for something like that? Now, are you planning on doing that at any point? I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I, I really – I don't know. I mean, I, I know that – here's the thing. I love poker. I, I can never say that I never want to play poker again. Um, cause I, I don't know what's going to happen. I do know that the casino and the lore of the pit games, that's a very dangerous place for me. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like, and I'm not using this as an excuse, Todd, but I feel like I've let myself get so out of control for so many years and just it's gotten worse and worse and worse that it just would be very, very difficult for me to like all of a sudden be, you know, being able to work at any kind of job um, and and commit to it. I mean, I, I just, you know, they say, in the, and a lot of people are saying you have to rewire your brain and, you know, maybe there's some, you know, psychotropic medication to take and a lot of mental health counseling and whatnot. 
I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I can't even answer that. I mean, because I'm just trying to take it one day, one day at a time, as the saying goes. And, and uh, you know, but I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I still love poker. I still think I could do well at poker. I really do. It, but it's just there's too many pitfalls around it, you know, which, you know, that's why Little Man was so great. He was helping me. You know, it's hard to find people like that. You know, obviously, those people are few and far between. Now, there's there's some accusations against you currently that the reason you're doing interviews like this and elsewhere and the reason you came on 2 Plus 2 and were so open about everything was not because of any kind of guilt or feeling the public has a need to know, but rather for the reason that you don't want to get a job and you want to play poker, but without money you can't play poker. So um, to endear yourself to potential stakers. Uh, hey, that, that's, that? that's, that's, that's why I had, that's what I took to task with you. That's why I texted you when I when I heard you say that. I don't know if that was an accusation or as much as you thinking that. I, I want to set the record straight. I had private messages on two plus two from two different people offering to put me in some of the more of the preliminary events and, and they would help me and, and they were talking about potentially the main event. I didn't take any of that. I just left. I played the monster stack, took one last shot because I had won a few thousand playing Pi Gal like right after that whole thing exploded on two plus two, which I didn't even know about for a couple of days. And then I, I left after that. So I want to clear the record. Like I, I, I'm not endearing myself to get, you know, stakes. if I go, if I choose eventually to go back in poker, you know, then I'll have to look into all of that and see if I can find somebody, but I didn't do this uh, or try to endear myself to get any stakes. And I think that showed you, Todd, I left Vegas. I left on that Saturday and I didn't come back. So I didn't play any other events. I didn't take anybody up on any offers. So maybe well, that's didn't do that. That, that, you a I'm bit. actually wondering here if you if you do have the desire to pretty much take the Eric Lindgren plan, which is to um, you know, pay people back and get your life back in order through winning in poker. Um, obviously, you, it takes money to make money in poker. So if right, there were people right. who were willing to back you here, despite everything that happened, and obviously people who had read your whole story and knew what you were about, why would you turn that down? Because, well, I, I'm not saying it would be turned down indefinitely. It was turned down then because, listen, try to imagine. You, you just log on to 2 plus 2. You read this, like, thread that's like – and it's not even a productive thread after after that guy David Gesh posting. It's just a bunch of people insulting me. You know how 2 plus 2 is. You've discussed this. It's, it's mostly you know, a lot of childish stuff, people making fun of my looks, people making fun of – you know, so it, it just became like we're back in seventh grade. Everybody insulted me and you know making fun of me so it just the whole thing caught me by surprise I felt like I needed to clear the air and explain why what led up to this you know that I didn't just go to an airport one day and start scamming people that why this happened and then I just felt like I needed to clear the air and just see like what I need to do like what's best for me how am I able to how am I going to function and, and, and move forward with this so I just wasn't in any position right then to to want to start playing more tournaments even though you know I've still had the urge. I mean, I, I love poker and I, you know, I want to play, but I just didn't feel like it was the appropriate time. And that's why I thought it was good that I left Vegas and just like, kind of like, you know, just take a deep breath, get away from that environment and just see like what's going to happen, how I feel, you know what I mean? Cause obviously, you know, I could be back in every event. I mean, if I'm not feeling right to play, if I'm just not in the right mindset, it's just a waste of money. So I'm like, I'm not going to do that to anybody that would offer to put me in. So I just felt it was best that I left. 
So uh, you said you left. Where did you go? I went to Northern California. I have a friend out there. I, I visited with him, and I went to a few GA meetings, and then I relapsed one time. Like on July 4th weekend, I was depressed, and, you know, I, I relapsed. And I actually won a little bit, but then I, I was feeling bad because I went to two GA meetings, and I was, I was just kind of, you know, feeling like I'm just letting the people in GA down. And so I went back to GA, and then I haven't gambled since. And then I went to the East Coast um, to go visit some doctors and to follow up to my – uh, doctor's appointments in May. So, so you're saying on the fourth of July you went to you went to a casino again and played pie gal? Yeah, well, the fourth of July weekend. I think it was a Saturday or something. Well, that's yeah, only like I, I that's less than two weeks Sunday. ago, though. I mean, that's that's pretty recent. It was pretty recent, but I mean, this isn't like a year old threat. I mean, this was this was three weeks ago. I mean, you know, this wasn't this wasn't. I mean, again, it, it, I've been a compulsive gambler most of my life. I mean, it's, you know, it's not easy. You know, I, I wish I could just snap my finger and, and, and stop all the problems and stop all the, uh, all the addictions, uh, you know, that I have forever. But it just doesn't work that way. I mean, you know, people relapse a lot. I mean, in different, in, in, in everyone's different addiction. They relapse. You know, that's kind of part of it, you know. So I, 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 I was just taking it one day at a time. I was depressed. I, I you know, I feel I was feeling very bummed and sad and I you know and what's cheered me up over the years playing pie gal so I went to play pie gal for a little bit and I left well so given that that happened and this is you know July 4th weekend and this interview is on July 16th um, I think it should be pretty indicative to you that uh, something needs to be done or otherwise you're going to go right back to everything that's happened it seems like uh, the pattern is already repeating again it doesn't look like there's been a lot of uh, improvement here yeah, I mean, I again, it's hard to improve overnight. It's hard to change overnight. I mean, that's what I said. I, I don't. I mean, <laughs> all I can do is take it, take it, you know, day by day, and 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 you know, go from there. I mean, again, I, you're right. I mean, it's very easy to fall back into the same patterns. I mean, it's it's what you're familiar with. I mean, you know, it's it's not justifying it or anything. I'm just saying that's. That's that's the the God's honest truth. It's 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 when you've been doing something for so many years, it's it just becomes second nature, you know. So, so what why, cheers you, you up? why are you so? What I'm still not clear on is what is the reason for all the two plus two posts and these interviews? If it's not to get stakes, what is the reason for? Is it just therapeutic to talk about it, or you just you know you just? It is. I mean, it, for me, it's therapeutic to talk about it, and and I think it's it, it just you know. You might not believe it, and I, I'm hoping you do, but I think it's also good for a lot of your listeners as well as the readers on these forums to realize what a gambling addiction can do. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people that are, you know, sign up for this, these forums and they post, they, they, don't, they don't really understand uh, to, to the, the detail of what it's like. I mean, I don't know the, the uh, breakdown of the members on all these different forums, but, I mean, to me, I, I think it's a, it's a very – it's a story that really needed to be told. And, and another thing is, you know, that scam book site, there's another site about me that's, you know, that's been out there for a couple of years. I mean, it's, it's already been out there. I mean, it just never was on the 2 plus 2 forum. But, I mean, I, I actually told Little Man, I said, you know, someone's going to see this eventually. I mean, someone's going to put this on 2 plus 2. I mean, I, and he's like, yeah, well, if they do, you know, just, just own up to it. I mean, you know, you're doing it. I said, I know. And, uh, you know, and that's what I did. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, if there's any good that can come out of it, it's maybe I can convince someone, you know, that's, that's on the fence about playing poker and gambling that has like noticing some of the warning signs can maybe get help. I mean, I, I would have never thought Todd in 1999 when I graduated, 
you know, that I would, you know, be in this situation. No way in hell would it, did I ever think that this would happen. But it, this stuff just slowly builds. It's like it just slowly adds up, you know, gets worse and worse and worse and worse. That's what's happened with me. Well, I, I think that, honestly, if you want to get better, if you want all this to stop, if you want to break the pattern, you need to get some kind of professional help. And there's, you're not the first person with a gambling addiction. There's a lot of people out there who've had really bad gambling addictions, even probably ones worse than yours. And um, yeah, there, there's a set way of doing things that uh, experts in the matter would, would know how to treat. And, and not everybody can be treated. There are some people that can never get cured. But uh, I, I think that... Uh, what you saw over the last two weeks is indicative that something needs to change. So I agree. I, I mean, I, I agree, but I mean, uh, you know, again, what, what it, it's not easy when you don't have support. I mean, you're not, I mean, there's so much more like you're, you're, you're taking this viewpoint from someone that's, you know, you're hosting a radio pod or a podcast. You're, you know, you're kind of your own life and it, it, it's not easy. You know, I, again, I don't have a lot of support. I mean, I don't have, you know, I don't have, I mean, I have parents, but they're disappointed with me, obviously. I don't speak with my sisters. I, I'm kind of alone. You know, the one guy that was looking out for me in this community that was really helping me is dead. I mean, it, it's not easy. So, uh, you know, and I went through a lot of the stuff that people say, well, you have to hit rock bottom. I mean, I think prison is pretty rock bottom. I think, you know, inpatient drug and alcohol programs with, you know, convicted felons all over the place is rock bottom. I mean, you know, and it didn't help. So I don't know. Like, I don't know what the answer is. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. If it means for me trying to get a stake to play poker a year from now, that's what it's going to be. If it means me trying to write a book and, and, and trying to, you know, go into more detail of my life. And I think it's a pretty fascinating story. And not just because it's me. I think it's a really interesting story about what happens for with a nice, clean-cut college graduate that just ruins his life from gambling and what it can lead you to. So, Yeah, well, um, did you ever finish college? I, I forgot that part of the story. Did you actually finish with a degree? Yes, I graduated with a degree in 1999. And what is the degree in? Chemical engineering. So, so yeah, that, that's a pretty useful degree. Now, I know you would have this uh, – you'd have a lot going against you as far as getting a job in that industry between your name being Googleable and uh, um, – yeah, the the convictions against you and the long gap in in your uh, resume and things like that. So, well, that's why I wouldn't. I mean, that, that you just answered the question as to why I wouldn't be able to get a job in that industry. I mean, if I want to get a listen, if I if I want to get a legitimate job, I think my best, honestly, my best action would probably get into some kind of sales. You know, obviously. You know, I think I'm pretty outgoing, and I think, you know, that could be, you know, there's some industries I could look into for sales. I think really that's my best option. I don't I don't think getting into chemical engineering at this point is really a feasible option. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree on that one. But um, whatever you do, you have to make sure it deviates very sharply from everything you were doing before or otherwise – I mean, you've seen for 14 years, you'll end up right in the same pattern again. And I saw in your posts that you talked about needing that big score. But I think that even if you played the World Series of Poker main event this year and you won it and got $10 million, I don't think that would solve your problems because all this would do is encourage you to bet bigger and bigger and the $10 million would be gone very fast. No, but you're missing one point. You know, there's a the thing. Like, 
it would solve my problems in one aspect. See, it's now it's a hundred percent. Like I would not uh, hold, I would not hold the money. Like it would be going immediately to my parents. Like they would, I mean, trust me, I, I'm not, I'm not holding that kind of money anymore. Like when I played that monster stack, if I had won like a hundred thousand, like that would, that money would be sent, you know, to my parents. Like I learned from that when I had that $150,000 and I, thought I could just hold it on, hold on to it, you know, look what happened. You know, that was gone really quick. I'm not going to go through that again. And, and, and it may be, and it also, if there's any good at this thread, it, it took something like this, this public, you know, pretty humiliation in a sense on, on two plus two, uh, for me to like realize how serious this is. And, you know, so if I'd ever hit that score again, uh, I would, you know, not be holding on to it. I would cause I don't trust myself. I mean, I, I've not shown at all that I can hold on to that kind of money. Well, you know, I hope that's true. I hope that if you do ever have money again, that you do get a third party to hold on to a large portion of it with the instructions that they're absolutely, no matter what, not to give you the money um, and to allocate it over a period of time so you could you know, use it more responsibly. So, yep. um, I mean, we have people in the chat room who are very doubtful saying things like, LOL, dude would be broke within a month within $10 million. And, and, you know, I have to say... Um, I hope you would give it to someone to hold and that you wouldn't go crazy demanding them to give you the money they're holding when you run through what you have. But I can say that I, I'm not convinced at this point that if you had $10 million, that it wouldn't be gone pretty quickly. So I'm just saying you, you, need to, you, you need to make some kind of major, major change. And I think that you had to do this through an expert's help. In uh, in stopping this, otherwise you're going to have the same thing over and over, and uh, you know you've already seen yourself from two weeks ago. So, are you planning to take these stakers up on uh, future tournaments? To uh... um, I don't know yet. I mean, I I'm not going to lie to you and tell you definitely not. I'm not going to tell you definitely yes. I mean, I have to just evaluate everything and. And see, I mean, listen, I mean, I hate to use, you know, names like Eric Lindgren and, and, and Chino Reem, but, you know, I mean, look, those guys, I mean, it, it, they they were able to play tournaments, you know, and, and hit a big score. And I don't know if it's cleared their debts entirely or whatnot, but obviously, I mean, I, I believe strongly that, you know, I mean, obviously there's a lot of luck and a lot of variance in these tournaments, but I believe that I'm good enough that, you know, I could hit one of the one a score eventually. I know I can. I don't know when, but I know I can hit something. I mean, I've been close a lot of times over the past year or two. Now, it's just you know the so. But I'm just saying. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, the key is, you know, w- that that to me is is, is 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 one way that I'm considering. I'm not going to lie. Is one way I'm considering uh, my options of what I'm going to do if I want to go play poker and you know and try that way because that seems to be at least a legitimate way compared to, you know, playing pie gal or pit games that really are no edge at all. And, you know, I don't know though, Todd, I really don't know what I'm going maybe to do. Maybe you should I'm approach gonna... uh, Eric Lindgren now that he's won some money. Maybe you can approach him and have him stake you. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I, that's no, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> so no, but seriously here, uh, if people stake you, how will they know that 
if you do have a score that you're not going to take the money that you cash and immediately run over to the Pygal pit and they'll never see their share? I, I don't know. I've just not, I would not do that. I mean, I never did that with, with little man and, um, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, if I, if I was fortunate enough to find somebody to stake me, you know, in, in that opportunity, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I would, I, it would just have to be a, a, a trust factor. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I mean, that's not really, that wasn't really my, my MO. I mean, my MO was just going to play pie gal. But if I found somebody to stake me or play tournaments and I, and I won, I mean, I would immediately, I would, you know, wait for them or whatever. And then, and divvy up the money accordingly. I mean, the last thing I, I need is is more problems and and, and having it, you know, being accused of, of stealing money and from from the back or whatever. I mean, that's you know, that's never been that's never been an issue with me. Okay. So and it never and it never will be. I mean, so I mean, little man, listen. I'll say one more thing real quick. Little man never backed anyone. Okay, that should tell you. I don't know if you knew him, but like he's like one of the most well respected guys ever in poker on the East coast and even some on the West coast that knew him. And he backed me. And even though he knew about my gambling problems and all this airport stuff, and he still trusted me and he would never, he told me I would never, cause people have screwed him over a lot and he just never deals with them. And he trusted me enough to do it. So that, that was an indication that he believed in me and he trusted me. So that's all I can say about that. You know, obviously it's, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, make everyone anyone believe it but that's the truth so here's a, here's a question from the chat room have you thought about where you're going to be in 10 years have you pictured yourself 10 years from now where you think you're going to see yourself um i you know i i've not really thought of that too often i mean occasionally it's in you know i guess i had the dreams you know recently last couple of years you know i i saw myself playing poker tournaments for the next 10 years and, you know, winning some big scores and, you know, that kind of thing and enjoying, enjoying the gambling lifestyle. Um, excuse me. I don't know if that's a, a reasonable dream, but that's really the only time I've thought about that is really thinking like that. So, no, I haven't really thought of it for because I mean it's pretty depressing. I mean, I don't really know what's going to happen. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with me a month from now, let alone 10 years. Okay. And uh, finally, um, I, I have one more question. When you would scam these people at the airport, I, I know you believed that at some point you would pay them. But um, did you? how much guilt did you have realistically? Not just what sounds the best to say, but realistically, how much guilt did you have at the time when you were doing this that you were scamming these people? Uh, or, or did it just fall out of your mind because you got the money and that's all that mattered? No, you know, I, I believe it or not, I felt I felt guilty uh, a bunch of times, and there was a few times like people like they would say, you know what, I'll, I'll lend you this money, um, but you know my you know um, my my wife lost her job, and I need the, I need this money to pay my kids such and such. You know, I'd like you know what, sir, never mind, it's okay. Like I mean, I wouldn't take it. I mean, like I, I just I was justifying. Okay, I was hitting up rich businessmen, CEOs that could afford a couple hundred dollars. And, you know, that they wouldn't miss it. But, like, if somebody would tell me, like, a story, like, I need the money because, you know, I lost my job or I just started a new job and I don't have this and we have to pay bills. And, but you know, then I would tell them it's okay. You know, never mind, sir. I understand. You know, I'll ask somebody else. And that happened quite a bit also. And then also I paid people back. I mean, I've kept business cards from guys. And when I hit a score, um, I would, and I even told little man that I said, listen, we're going to mail out 
I'm going to mail out uh, money to, to this, this, and this guy. I owe this guy money. I got it at the airport, and I paid people back. And that, that scam book site has shown. I mean, that site in itself is kind of frustrating because they're being investigated. You know, they don't even – they're like it's, – it's on there, but it's not – they're not – there's nobody really representing it anymore. They were they got sued by the Better, Better Business Bureau, by the Attorney General, and – so they're like they want you to sign up for a membership to get the stuff removed. You have to pay like you know three ninety nine plus you know three ninety nine a month, and you get to like remove the post on there. So I mean that 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 whole site became is basically a scam. But people can sign up you know and just post on there you know. But I I paid people back, and there's comments you know it says you know Michael paid me back, Michael restored my trust, Michael. But you know so. I did do that when I could, you know, when okay. I hit something, and I made sure to pay them back. And, it's, and um, that's actually a good question. When you would hit a score of some sort, um, and I don't mean a huge score necessarily, but even one for a few thousand dollars, um, did you pay back everybody that you knew of that you contacted at the time to pay? I know I didn't pay everybody for a few thousand score. If I won like you know thirty thousand, yeah, then I pay, I took like five thousand of that money and I paid back the people that I owed. You know, as much as I owed, that kind of thing. Kept their business cards, and then you know we mailed out checks, that kind of thing. So I paid people back. Some people didn't want it back. Some people just said keep it. You know, it just depended. But I, you know, I, I did the best that I could with that. You know, I didn't pay everybody back, obviously, and you know, but I I did the best that I could with that. Now I. I guess the last thing I want to ask you about, I remembered you from 2 Plus 2 before all this broke out. and in fact, Yeah, we were was, communicating with each other, remember? Yeah, we yeah. were going back and forth a couple of times. Yeah, so I remember you from the thread about Chris Moneymaker and uh, that whole controversy with him. And yep. uh, what was the – I forgot the other guy's name who was involved. but Jason uh, Young. That's right, Jason Young. And I remember you also um, – some other thread. We had, we had interacted a few times – in threads involving where one person was accused of scamming another, it seemed like you had an interest in those threads. And more recently, of course, you called out that floor man who was extorting money out of people who wanted to play the single table satellites. And uh, you know, for right. everything that's been said about you, um, it was confirmed by Seth Polanski of the World Series that your report about what was happening there was true and accurate. So nothing right. wrong with that report. But what I do wonder is how did you feel participating in these threads in, or in the case of uh, the guy at the Rio reporting a scam going on when you knew that at the same time you were going to the airport and scamming people? Did you have any sort of guilt like how can I be calling people like this out when I'm doing it myself in a different way? You know, I, I knew you were going to ask me that because I, I heard you mention that before. I'll tell you the honest truth. I mean, it, it's different. For, I'll go. I'll address first the guy with the floor. The, the reason I started that thread was it was just very unique to me because he was a, an employee doing it. You know, he was he was very blunt about it. He was, you know, he pissed off a, a, a few people, including you know me there. Just what he, how he was acting, and it was just bizarre that it was an employee so i just felt like you know what i'm going to let the other poker players aware make them aware of it because i think that you know it just started the wsop and i think they should be aware so i started the thread it was i probably wouldn't have started it if it was just a regular you know but it was an employee so which really just stood out for me so that's why i started that thread and then for the other ones just commenting on it yeah i mean obviously i didn't really 
think, I mean, again, when, when you start doing the airport thing and I, and I, and I was justifying like, well, I'm paying these people back when I can, I'm kind of partly scamming them. And I'm, even though I'm lying about why I need the money, I'm going to pay them back. And then I was just like, I was just justifying it myself. So I was just being a, a two plus two member. I was just participating in the thread. And yeah, the scam threads interest me because I guess maybe yeah, I was doing it at the airport at, uh, from time to time. And, you know, the whole thing fascinated me just, you know, watching these people, you know, argue about this stuff and hearing about it. So it was just, just interested me. So that's why I commented on, on some of the stuff. Um, you know, so that's, that's, that's the truth. Okay. And, uh, I, I was just wondering about, it's just an interesting sort of, uh, genre of threads you were interested in yourself. Uh, and you know, given what it ended up, you were doing, I mean, I, I have an interest in that because, as you've probably seen, since I've been involved with poker, especially in the last several years, a, a big thing that I've just been involved with has just been calling out sites or individuals that are scamming people in the poker community uh, just because I right. feel it's right to do so, and uh, and I think I'm good at doing this. So that's kind of a, a thing that I've started doing. I'm almost like a poker consumer advocate in a way. But at the same yeah. time, I've been here for 14 years in, in poker, and there's never been one scam accusation against me because I just don't do it. So even though I have an interest yeah, in, in the topic, I, I don't do it myself. But I, I, I found kind of you having a lot of the same interests, yet you do it yourself. That, that's what was uh, struck me as kind of strange, but uh, I, I guess – Well, way, again, I mean, I, don't, I, I think up until, up until um, that post was started about from Gash about me, I, I had like close to 1,000 posts. So, I mean, I, I commented on many more threads other than scam threads. I mean, I, you know, I, I know it's easy, you know, to look back and group. I mean, I, I was commenting on tournament threads and tournament, you know, and, 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 and a lot of stuff, you know, and other things. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you you have a great reputation and, you know, that's why you're able to host a podcast and a lot of people respect you. And, 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 and I respected what you wrote um, in a lot of these threads. Uh, I just found it interesting. I don't know. I just found it fascinating. I mean, you know, for example, that whole thing in in in, in at West Palm Beach when the the guy took the chip off the table when he won, and then they barred him and they blacklisted him and they didn't pay him and you know and I and I commented you know about you know would they have done that with Phil Hellmuth? Would they have done that with like a real like main person? I mean, I just feel like there's a there's a big double standard. Uh, you know, with with some of these guys compared to like the average person, and so you know, I comment on that, and someone mentioned in, in, on two plus two in my uh, thread, you know, oh that I have the gall to comment on that. I, I just felt it was it, it's pretty accurate, you know, like Joe Schmo can steal a you know or can take a chip off the table, and no matter what his excuses, you know, after the tournament's over, they're gonna do everything, you know, but 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 castrate him. You know, but if if it was Phil Helmet and he said, "Oh, I, I just wanted it for a souvenir," they probably would let it go and not do anything, and you know, probably like ask for his autograph. I mean, it just there's just two different set of standards, you know. So that's why I just like to comment on this stuff. I just I just notice these things. I see. All right. Well, thank you for appearing on the show here. Uh, I I think it was an interesting interview. And um, some of the challenges. I, well, I have to ask you though before before I before I sign off. I mean, um, you seemed very. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You seemed very um, disgusted with me uh, a few weeks ago. Um, I remember, you know, your tone, a lot of vitriol about me. Have, have I have I lowered that a little bit? Of giving you, you know, coming on your show, giving you 
uh, I think detailed explanations about things and, and um, I mean, have, has that changed a little bit? I hope. Well, I'll say this here: um, I'm not one who really likes excuses for actions where you know, people scam each other. I do believe that you have a gambling problem. I do believe that you weren't scamming for the joy of scamming. Uh, I, I also believe that you did pay some people back voluntarily. And that you didn't see all these people as uh, you know completely expendable. That once you take their money, they just f them. But at the same time, right. uh, you you were ripping people off. You were giving. You were playing on people's sympathies and desire to be good human beings to to get money to gamble. And and even if you have the intention to pay that back, uh, that's that's still wrong. And and having excuses of of an addiction. Uh, while that might be motivating the behavior, that doesn't uh, make it right in any way. And uh, I'm still not. I, I'm still not sure. I know you said it's therapeutic, but to me, I don't understand why you're coming out with all this and why you're telling so much detail and why there's a, you know, you do interviews like this. I, I think it's interesting for the show, but I can't say I'm convinced that um, you're not hoping that you, um, through all this publicity, that that it would enable. Even if you're not directly asking people for stakes, just to kind of keep your name out there and, and, and humanize you a bit to where people would uh, look at you more sympathetically and maybe even run into another uh, Mike Little Man Sika who, who will want to help you out. I, I have to think that, uh, especially with, it seems like you're a person who does look at the whole picture a lot of times, even though you don't always make the right decisions, but you look, a lot of times look at the whole picture where you can get an edge or, you know, you even had. You mentioned a good comeback you had at the airport, and people would say, "Why didn't the airplane take? Care- Why didn't the air- airline take care of you?" And you had an answer, "Well, it's because of an act of God. The weather. They don't do it." Like, I, I just, I get the idea that there might be still some uh, self. Uh, that there might be some reasons that uh, you're doing all this to help yourself in the future with stakes or whatever, or even just for the public to think better of you. So when you do play poker, that people don't hate you as much, even if it's just that, but that there's some sort of, uh, reason that's, uh, motivating this beyond just wanting to be therapeutic or wanting to be honest with everybody. Uh, at the same time, I, I do hope you get help. I do hope that you, I do hope that you break this cycle because not only does it hurt yourself, but it hurts, everybody else that gets scammed. And uh, I'm afraid that, you know, it'll be the same routine where you feel you need money to gamble with, whether it's poker or pie girl or whatever, you don't have it. And you think, well, the airport thing worked before. Why don't I do it again? Like I, I could easily see this happening again. And so that's why I really hope you get the help both to prevent this from happening again, uh, you know, to you and to potential future victims, and that's that's what I'm really hoping for. I, I can't say after this interview that that I, I think now that you're a wonderful guy and that I completely understand everything, and that's cool. I, I do. I'm not as harsh in my opinion of you as others. I don't think necessarily that you're a sociopath or that you enjoy scamming people or that you had zero guilt out of it. Uh, the fact that you paid right. some people back at all, which I I, I know is true, and then the fact that. Uh, uh, I do believe there is a gambling addiction motivating this that separates that. We had a guy named Peter Falcone who was involved uh, with this community that that really was scamming people for pleasure. 
he also had a gambling right. addiction, but for him, he really seemed to get pleasure out of running scams. Uh, and and it seems like uh, uh, with you, I, I'm not getting the vibe as much that you were getting as much. No, I, I swear, and that's that's a good way to end. And I and I tell you this real quick, I I do not get pleasure out of this. I, I freaking, I mean, there were times that I would go back after I would get money at the airport, and I would be like. I couldn't even eat. I was like miserable. Like I just felt nauseous. Like, I mean, I mean, this is not how, so if there's any, any, uh, difference, I, I'm glad that you at least, you know, and I think you're a smart guy. You're obviously very well, uh, you know, very well versed in all this. And, you know, I think that you, it means a lot to me that you see that, you know, um, cause I, I didn't get pleasure and I don't get pleasure in doing this. I really but, don't. But I'm not, I'm not, not the to. thing is though, I'm, you, you were still scamming people and that's, that's the bottom line here. And I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing anything that you've changed here. You haven't made a radical change in your life other than saying, I won't do it again. And that's what really concerns me. You, well, you I went to GA, I I went to GA a bunch of times and I, I, I'm changing my, I'm changing my health, which, you know, might seem, well, what does that have to do with scamming? Well, you know what? I mean, I was feeling really bad about myself and, and, and which got me more depressed and easy to justify, but I, I, I'm trying to change that exercising, eating right. I've lost some weight and, you know, I mean, you know, I'm trying, it's slow, Todd. I mean, this doesn't happen. You, you're, you're not an addict. You don't really understand. This doesn't happen overnight. I mean, this, it's not like this thread was in 2011. I mean, this thread happened three weeks ago. I'm just, I'm just I mean, saying what, it, I, what I'm seeing here is I'm not seeing a lot of progress here. I'm seeing you, you I'm seeing admissions here. I'm seeing admissions of guilt, um, but I'm not seeing progress where I say, oh, wow, that person looks like they've really changed. I'm just not seeing that. That's, that's my concern here. That's my biggest concern in, in this whole thing is I'm very afraid, and in fact, uh, I would have to think it's likely at this point, more likely than not, that we're going to read about or hear about that in six months we're going to, have seen more of the same occur. And that's what I don't want to see happen. I understand. I hope it doesn't. And, you know, again, you're right. I mean, I, I have to, I have to take a long look at things and I'll just take it one day at a time. And, you know, regardless, I, I appreciate you um, speaking with me. I'm glad I was able to come on and, you know, give more of my, my side of issue, things and what happened. And uh, again, your listeners can decide, you know, what they want to decide and, 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 and their views. But, um, you know, I appreciate, I, I enjoy your show and I enjoy what you have to say. And, you know, I appreciate you allowing me to come on and, and, and defend myself to, to a degree and, and explain to the listeners, you know, what's been going on and, and, and things like that. I do appreciate it, sir. Okay. Well, thank you for that. And um, it was an interesting segment. Thank you for coming on the show. And um, hopefully everyone has a pretty good view of everything now, regardless of, you know, what they think either way. So. I, I, I hope so, too. All the best, and have a great rest of the week. Right. Thank you. Bye. So that was Michael Borowitz. And I, I, some, the chat room, some of the people in the chat room were angry at me for not being uh, more confrontational with him, but I, I think I was being fair here. Uh, this isn't a TV show where everybody's either good or evil. Um, there were some things I saw of the guy that I believe were probably true and sincere, and I think there's some other things where where he is angling to hopefully be seen better in the community so he can be staked for poker and, and, you know, score that way and not have to get a real job. I mean, that's, you don't have to be a genius to see that. And, you know, I let him know that. So it's not like at the end of the interview, I said, okay, Mike, I understand everything now. I think you're a wonderful guy. I I didn't say that. And uh, 
I think I had a pretty fair assessment of the situation, but uh, hockey guy saying in the chat he's not ready to change, and I think that's the biggest thing to take away from this, and that's what I, I was saying most to him. is, You know, he's saying he was gambling again on July 4th, and today's July 16th, so obviously there hasn't been much change in his life, and he doesn't have a plan to change, and he just kind of hopes it all is going to work out, and that's never really how it works. Someone's saying in the chat, he's Lindgren light. Yeah, that uh, that's actually not too far from the truth. <laughs> All right. So I, I thought it was an interesting interview, though. Uh, I, I thought he was at least well-spoken to where he was able to explain everything clearly, which makes for good radio. So at least we have that. I didn't expect him to have any kind of... Uh, Enlightenment here or Turn his life around or whatever from this interview But uh, I wanted to hear it from his mouth Of you know what he did Why he did it What his plans were in the future And I think we got all that Let's talk about two people Who may not have that much of a future Who once seemed to have very bright futures uh, Talking about Two attorneys general John Swallow and Mark Shirtliff of Utah. And uh, they've been under a lot of suspicion for quite some time because of their involvement with a man known as Jeremy Johnson. Jeremy Johnson, uh, the way he affected us in the poker world the most was that he was a major payment processor. He never got indicted or prosecuted for that. For whatever reason, they didn't want to touch him for that. But boy, was he very much involved with the payment processing side of online poker, uh, especially uh, Utah's SunFirst Bank. Now, we had Chad Ellie on this show on, uh, I think it was November 2013, just before he went to prison. And Chad Ellie told us all about payment processing. He told us some about his dealings with Jeremy Johnson, who he said scammed him. And Jeremy Johnson never got in trouble for that, but what he did get in trouble for was a gigantic telemarketing scam. Jerry, Jeremy Johnson was running a $750 million telemarketing scam there out of Utah. $750 million. Basically, the scam was pretty basic. Uh, it was people would sign up for services and uh, never get them, never be able to cancel. Just their credit card would just be endlessly billed, and uh, it was that sort of thing. And $750 million was scammed that way. Now, Jeremy Johnson was enabled to some degree by his friendship with two attorneys general. And that was John Swallow and Mark Shirtliff. And Jeremy Johnson actually recorded a meeting that he had. He surreptitiously recorded a meeting with uh, John Swallow on April 30th, 2012 at a Krispy Kreme. 
and they discussed a lot of things. I, I've played parts of that meeting before on, I'm not sure if it was this show or the last show I was part of. I think it was this show. But um, uh, among other things, there was um, some discussion about um, a $250,000 bribe for access to Harry Reid, the U.S. uh, Senate Majority Leader, to hopefully make the investigation into Jeremy Johnson go away. And uh, so basically he had a really close relationship with uh, with these two attorneys general. And uh, these guys have been uh, indicted now by the state of Utah, not by uh, anything federal. The state of Utah on uh, 23 combined charges. And... Uh, these charges include, uh, this is for John Swallow, pattern of un- unlawful activity, accepting a gift, receiving or soliciting a bribe, three counts, false or inconsistent material statements, three counts of tampering with evidence, account of misuse of public money, obstructing justice, falsification or alteration of government record, and failure to disclose conflict of interest. That's John Swallow, Mark Shirtliff getting charged with pattern of unlawful activity, three counts of receiving or soliciting a bribe, two counts of accepting a gift, uh, account of uh, accepting employment that would impair judgment, tampering with a witness, tampering with evidence, and obstructing justice. Uh, Eleven of the thirteen charges against Swallow are felony charges, and uh, six of them are second degree and five are third degree counts. The remaining two are misdemeanors. And uh, for Mark Shirtliff, all 10 are felonies, 7 are second degree, and the remaining 3 are third degree. So, um, strangely enough, uh, the federal government is not getting involved in this. These indictments are all at the state level. This is all being done by the state of Utah. And... Why is the federal government not getting involved? Why are they not going after these two corrupt attorneys general? Well, I think that it has to do with Harry Reid. Now, Eric Holder is the current head of the Department of Justice. And... um, he would be the one making this decision. He's the U.S. Attorney General. There is an allegation by Jeremy Johnson that there was a bribe on behalf of Full Tilt Poker made by Jeremy Johnson to Harry Reid, and that bribe was... One million dollars. It really was, one million dollars. And I believe this bribe really happened. Harry Reid is known to be corrupt. There have been rumors about Harry Reid's corruption, and I mean strong rumors, not stupid uh, fringe rumors. I mean strong rumors, not enough to prove it, but strong rumors of his corruption for years and years and years. I remember long before any of this stuff happened, long before Jeremy Johnson was busted, long before Black Friday, 
uh, in the 2010 election where Harry Reid almost lost. There was all kinds of talk in Nevada, where I lived, about how corrupt Harry Reid was, uh, including bribes. So um, Harry Reid did introduce an online poker bill at the federal level. It was called the Reid-Kyle measure. It didn't get much interest. It didn't really go anywhere. But he did introduce this shortly after Johnson claims he got this bribe. Johnson was told to make a million-dollar payment from SunFirst Bank into a weird account. And supposedly this account was one that could be accessed by Harry Reid surreptitiously. And that Jeremy Johnson would be the one depositing this money so it would not look as bad that it didn't come directly from Full Tilt. But Full Tilt had Jeremy Johnson do this for them. That's his allegation. Now, Jeremy Johnson, again, he's a $750 million telemarketing scammer. So, yeah, he's not the most reliable or honest guy. But this is a strange thing to make up. And he doesn't have much to gain from making this up. Now, even though there does seem to be validity to this story, and even though it's pretty serious that the Senate Majority Leader of the United States would be accepting a million-dollar bribe and then introducing a federal bill for online poker as a result of that bribe. And that's pretty bad. Even if you like online poker, even if you think it should be legal, which I do, the U.S. Senate Majority Leader should not be taking million-dollar bribes for anything. Not only shouldn't he be the U.S. Senate Majority Leader, he should be in jail if he does things like that. And um, this is something that at least should be looked into and investigated so it can be determined whether this is just nonsense being spewed by a criminal or if this is a criminal telling the truth about another criminal, Harry Reid. But Eric Holder won't look into it. The Department of Justice would not assist the state of Utah in looking into this. The state of Utah wants to look into this, but they're having a hard time looking into this. And I'm talking about the bribe thing to Harry Reid. Because the federal government will not cooperate. That's Eric Holder's decision. Eric Holder's a Democrat. Harry Reid is a Democrat. And obviously a very powerful, influential Democrat. It would be very embarrassing to the Democratic Party if this were to come out and end up being fact. And Harry Reid were to be arrested. I mean, it would be a very, very big black eye to the Democratic Party. It would be. And no matter what your politics are, You have to admit that the likelihood that of the reason why Reed is not being investigated for this is because Eric Holder is another Democrat. That's the problem with having the U.S. Attorney General be a partisan office. It shouldn't be, but it is. 
the attorney general is always loyal to the president who appoints him. And loyal to his party, of course. So the way that ties in with this is that all of this is all close together. Jeremy Johnson was very closely tied in. He was a very, very big player with online poker payment processing, with online poker in general. You didn't know his name when you played on Full Tilt or on Poker Stars, but he was processing your payments at Sunfirst Bank. He was one of the people processing your payments. Jeremy Johnson made more money with the telemarketing scams than he was with the online poker payment processing, but he was also making a lot of money with the online poker payment processing. The problem is if all of this gets completely untangled, if everything is learned as to what was going on between Shirtliff, Swallow, and Johnson. Shirtliff and Swallow were uh, you know, receiving all kinds of benefits from Jeremy Johnson. There's even a, uh, a picture which is now being distributed throughout the web, and we've seen for years now, of uh, Mark Shirtliff and Jeremy Johnson standing in front of a helicopter, a private helicopter owned by Jeremy Johnson. You know, they, th- those two hung out. Those two had a lot of fun together already looking pretty bad that the attorney general was so chummy and so buddy-buddy and getting all these favors from the biggest telemarketing scammer of all time, Jeremy Johnson. But the reason the federal government doesn't want to get involved is if they do and they uncover everything, well, they're going to find some things they don't want to find. They're going to find that Harry Reid received bribes from Jeremy Johnson. They're going to find these things out And then they have to go after Harry Reid. And they don't want to do that. They want to keep their eyes closed so that they don't have to see this stuff about Reid. Because the price to the Democratic Party will be so large. And, you know, I know some of you who are aware that I'm a Republican are going to say, oh, there goes Druff just bashing Democrats here. But that's not what this is about. That's not what this is about. Uh, Swallow and Shirtliff are not Democrats. And I very much support the indictments against them. I think they should go down. I think they are incredibly corrupt. I think it's despicable that they were so close to a scammer like this. And, and they knew what he was. They, it's not even like they thought he was a wonderful guy. They, when they first started you know, associated with him, perhaps they weren't aware of everything, but they, they were quite aware. They were quite aware. They were, these were two corrupt Utah state attorney generals. And I think they should pay for that. But why is the federal government such a large matter? Why will they not give any help? It's because of Harry Reid, that's why. They'll never give that as the official reason. They won't even give a reason. The federal government will not explain why they won't get involved in this. Now, as far as you as a poker player, there's not all that much to care about. Um... This bribe was to try to make online poker legal. 
Maybe you, I've even seen people say, hey, I support this bribe, as long as it resulted in online poker becoming legal, which it should have been in the first place. Then who cares if that's what you have to do to make it get done? But the reason I care is this should not be the process. There should not be million-dollar bribes to elected officials to make it happen. There should not be attorneys general who are getting buddy-buddy with a major telemarketing scammer and accepting gifts and bribes from him and obstructing justice. So, this kind of peripherally is connected to online poker. Now, just, I do want to mention, and I know Haley Hintz has been writing articles about this. Um, John Pappas is tied up in this a little bit. Uh, I'm not saying John Pappas, of the PP, you know, the president of the PPA, did anything illegal. But um, in an excerpt of the filed charges in the complaint against Swallow, uh, it talked about uh, the Attorney General's office and their relationship with Jeremy Johnson, but also talks about uh, the Sun First Bank and the poker processing that they were doing there. And uh, they mentioned Chad Ellie in that excerpt, but they also mention John Pappas and Jeff Ifra, who was uh, the Full Tilt attorney at the time. And um, they're not named specifically, but they're, they're mentioned, and it's very clear who they are from the description of them. And it mentioned that they met with John Swallow to discuss the legalities of online poker processing in Utah. So, just FYI, John Pappas knew that... Uh, Utah was being used, you know, that the Sunfirst Bank in Utah was being used in that way and that they were exploring the options. This is John Pappas of the PPA on, on how to possibly legally process the payments of these illegal sites, which, again, you may not object to, but I'm just putting that out there. And I really don't like the PPA getting involved in matters like that where they're finding ways to skirt the law. And this is back in 2010, but I, I just don't like that being their focus at the time, was finding ways to get the currently illegal sites to you know find ways for them to process payments legally. I don't think that was the proper focus. It's one thing if you want to focus upon making these sites legal and changing their status from illegal sites to regulated legal sites. Fine. I, I didn't think that was the right approach, but I understand it. But to try to find ways where they can better process payments while remaining illegal sites, I, I don't think was a wise use of PPA's resources. But that's just a side issue to this whole thing. To me, the most interesting thing of this whole matter is the protection of Harry Reid. The fact that Harry Reid probably did receive a million-dollar bribe from Full Tilt and is it's known 
and the federal government will not look into it. Eric Holder will not look into it. Doesn't affect us as poker players. I just think that's a, a bad thing for our country. That they, they will not look into it. And I don't care if, if this is a Republican or a Democrat. These things need to be looked into when it becomes likely that there's something to these accusations. Especially when it involves major political figures that might be corrupt. I don't care what party they're in. So yeah, this, uh, these act- this action against uh, Swallow and Shirtlift, it's all being done at the state level, and the federal government will not get involved, and I don't think they ever will get involved. They want nothing to do with this. Absolutely nothing. If you go to fleshdraw.net, you'll see more coverage on this subject than you could ever imagine. You can learn every bit you ever want to know about the subject. Uh, Haley Hintz and everybody else at fleshdraw.net, has, they've done an excellent job covering everything related to this matter. So go over there if you want to read about it. A lot of good stuff over there. Too much for me to discuss on this show. Let's move on to another person in trouble. This one I feel less strongly about. But uh, high-stakes poker player Paul Fua, who played in the million-dollar buy-in one-drop event, not this year, but in 2012, has been arrested. He has been arrested for a World Cup betting ring among Chinese nationals, among you know, of which he is one. And uh, this took place at Caesars. So... get the details here he was arrested uh, this past weekend in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace and uh, the FBI arrested him I guess the the FBI is interested in this you know the federal government wants the bus people for betting on the World Cup but for some reason a million dollar bribe to Harry Reid doesn't matter to them but anyway the FBI uh arrested him and charged him with illegally operating a gambling business, and he actually took bets at Caesars Palace on the World Cup. He was also forced to give up his private jet while waiting for his trial for this matter. He had a private jet that's worth 50 million bucks, so they set his bail at 2 million, which is nothing for this guy. This guy is super rich. And they made him give up his jet so he doesn't get on the jet and fly off. Because they know he can't leave the country through commercial air. But they don't want him to just hop in his private jet and leave the country. So they, he had to actually give up his private jet while he's waiting for trial under house arrest. Uh, the FBI believes Fuat to be a high-ranking member of a Hong Kong-based criminal organization known as the 14K Triad. 14K probably referring to gold, just the name of the the, uh, criminal organization. Uh, His son was also arrested. His name is Darren Y. Kitfua. And uh, about 12 other people were arrested in this ring that uh, revolved around illegal sports betting. 
his attorney, whose name is David Chesnoff, said that his client is not part of any kind of organized crime and that, um, interestingly enough, members of the poker community were ready to assist in posting his bail. kind of a weird thing. The poker community is standing up for this guy, including supposedly Andrew Roble, who, according to the Las Vegas Review Journal, was willing to put up $1.5 million for this guy's bail. Uh, U.S. Attorney Kimberly Frayne indicated that other members of the poker community may also be linked to this illegal sports betting ring, which wouldn't surprise me because it, it seems like whenever one of these illegal sports betting rings is busted that has any kind of ties to anyone who's ever been involved in poker. It seems like other poker players are involved. I mean, you know about that trencher ring, which nailed uh, uh, Justin Smith, uh, Boosted Jay I'm talking about, and uh, Bill Edler, and uh, Peter Nordberg Feldman, and guys like that. So, And we had another one that, uh, a bust related to the M sports betting scandal, where a bunch of poker players got nailed. Uh, Paul Fua has about $2.9 million of career live poker tournament caches. Of course, he's, enter- he's entered a lot of super high roller events, including a 100,000-pound event in London in 2012, which he actually won. So it's very possible, despite $2.9 million in caches, that he actually might be down. But, I mean, who really cares? But, you know, but supposedly he has a ton of money because of being a high-ranking member of this uh, 14K triad in Hong Kong. I don't know why Andrew Robel is so close to him and wants to put up his bail, unless this guy's been backing Robel or something. Who knows? Uh, What hasn't really been reported is why there was a sports betting ring involving the World Cup at Caesars when you can bet on the World Cup legally at Caesars, but I I have to imagine it was probably for higher limits than Caesars was willing to go. Um, There's a lot of misconceptions about sports books that you can just walk into any sports book and just slap down whatever money you want to bet and they'll take it. Usually there's not. Usually they have limits, and the reason they have limits was a few of them. Uh, First of all, they want to prevent... Sharp sports bettors, that is, sports bettors who have an edge on the casino uh, from making too much money too quickly before they can identify who they are. And and second, and more importantly, they're trying to overcome variance. Sports books, what they really, really want is they want to have equal action on both sides to where this way their VIG guarantees them a win. So if they have... 100,000 bet on one side of the match and 100,000 on the other side at the same line, then they know one side's going to win, one side's going to lose, and they're going to make whatever their VIG is on that bet no matter what because you know you don't get paid even money on a point spread bet. So that's what they're hoping for because they have guaranteed money that way. They don't like having to take a chance as to which side wins. So... They don't want to just let you walk up and place a large bet on anything if they don't have the action on the other side to cover it because they're exposing themselves to a big loss. There's a few deep-pocketed sports books that will 
give action like this, but uh, most of them won't. So I have to imagine that what's probably going on here is there were probably some Chinese nationals and pro- you know, probably people who wanted to bet very big on the World Cup and could not at a standard Vegas sports book. And this Paul Fuo was probably the one who was taking those big bets. So, uh, someone asking if David Chesnoff was Ivy's lawyer as well. I do recognize the name. I didn't look that up, but uh, yeah, um, he, he was definitely involved in some poker players' legal matters. Uh, someone saying in chat that he was actually Mattisau's lawyer. Um, China Maniac suggesting in chat that perhaps a lot of people bet on credit with Fua, which you can't do in a sports book. In a sports book, you have to hand them the cash beforehand. You can't just say, I'll bet and I'll pay you later if I lose. So, interesting situation. And we'll see if any other poker players get caught up in that net. Well, another criminal matter to talk about. Seems like that's been a theme of this show, people getting arrested. Uh, This is about someone who was arrested quite some time ago, but he was definitely guilty, and he's finally been sentenced. Talking about uh, Ali Tekintamgek. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. T-E-K-I-N-T-A-M-G-A-C. He was a poker cheat. He was actually caught on camera at a WPT event in Barcelona receiving signals from someone in the media who is standing behind his opponent and looking at his opponent's hole cards. Apparently, that was not just a one-time thing for Ali. He was doing this at several tournaments. He had a whole ring going involving... Usually the poker media that would be on his payroll. When I say the poker media, I obviously don't mean everybody in the poker media, but certain people who were on his payroll that would participate in looking at opponents' hole cards and signaling them to him or other players in the ring. So Ali has been sentenced for uh, for three years for what he did in Germany. And, I mean, I I think that's good that uh, he got three years in prison. Um, Basically, um, he was also accused by the German prosecutors that he teamed up with casino personnel as well, and and sometimes underground card room employees. Uh, He pleaded guilty to fraud in this trial in Germany. He actually got three years and five months in prison. And uh, he actually committed these crimes through several countries. Uh, The suspicions about him came to light for the first time almost four years ago at the uh, European Poker Tour uh, Talon event, I think as you pronounce it. And uh, and he was disqualified uh, from the Partouche Poker Tour main event, final table, uh, when they were accusing him of using these poker bloggers to signal hole cards, which is what they got on camera uh, later that year in the Barcelona main event, the WTPT Barcelona. And uh, in that 
particular one, he screwed over uh, Roberto Garcia, his opponent, where a uh, poker journalist standing right behind Garcia was uh, pointing a camera at Garcia's cards. I mean, there's no doubt he was doing this. There's no uh, question. Uh, The disgraceful thing, you might, might wonder how he was able to keep doing this when getting caught a few times. Uh, the disgraceful thing is that you can get busted cheating this blatantly in a tournament and still be able to play major tournaments elsewhere. They really should have a blacklist for cheaters, that anyone who's caught cheating should be blacklisted from all tournaments everywhere. But he went on playing for quite some time. I believe he even registered for a Bellagio tournament after this WBT Barcelona thing came out and they let him play. They should just never let cheaters like this play. You catch someone doing this, they should be out of all poker tournaments. And poker tournament directors, especially for major poker tournaments, around the world should be in communication, exchange a blacklist, and and keep these people out. And I'm not saying necessarily blacklist people who act up or or get too drunk or get belligerent. I, I can see giving those people a second chance. But cheaters, they shouldn't ever get to play. That's how this guy was able to keep doing it, even after getting caught. But he finally got sentenced to three years and five months for his participation in this poker cheating ring. And uh, I wish it was longer, but at least he's going to be... I'm not sure how much he'll have to actually serve of that sentence, but at least he got a real prison sentence of decent length. And uh, I, I hope he never is allowed to play a poker tournament ever again. Going back to the Paul Fua story I'm seeing in the chat room. Uh, JSTAT wondering how much juice he was taking for the World Cup bets. And uh, Benford wondering... Ah! Huh. My, uh, my system here, my new system here, died somehow. I think the, the plug slipped out. The plug... I don't know if you guys have noticed, but a lot of times plugs don't seem to fit in very tightly these days. Like I buy these electronics and then I try to plug them in, especially to like an extension cord, and they're so loose they can slip right out. And I don't remember having this problem until the last few years. But anyway, this this system I have, the broadcasting system here, it it does have kind of a loose plug and, and somehow it just slipped out. So I apologize for my disappearance for a moment. But uh, it didn't stop broadcasting. You just couldn't hear me anymore. But uh, Benford in the chat was saying, if Fua was charging a better juice, wouldn't the Las Vegas books have an incentive to shut him down? Yeah, that and just they have an incentive to shut down anyone taking bets for something they're also taking bets for in their casino or even anyone taking bets at all in their casino because money lost to people taking bets in the casino does not get lost to the casino. So they they want all the gambling to go on in their casino to them and not to anybody else. So, some people in the chat room are asking me things like, uh, when I talked about how the last few years these plugs are, are too loose and don't fit in, hockey guy had the nerve to ask me and turn down the radio if it's in on speaker right now. Do you have that problem with your cock too? <laughs> come on, come on. 
Come on. And uh, if I did, it wouldn't be a problem that would have come up in the last few years. It would have been a problem, uh, you know, the last 25 years. So, anyway, I'm glad Ali is going to be in prison. Hopefully he's never allowed at a poker table again. The Trump Plaza is the latest casualty in Atlantic City. And I can't say I'm surprised. I'm not an Atlantic City expert. I know much more about Vegas than Atlantic City. But nevertheless, uh, the Trump Plaza is closing. Atlantic City has been struggling. The reason they approved online poker, legalized online poker in New Jersey so quickly was to hopefully infuse a large sum of money into Atlantic City. But it hasn't done that. The the rooms haven't done very well. They're, They're making money, but not very much. Much, much less than they thought. Like much, much, much less. They had pretty unrealistic uh, estimates as to how much they'd be making from online poker. So uh, the 11th hour attempt to save the Atlantic City market has basically failed, even though online poker is running there. So we're seeing casino closures. Uh, So in this case... Uh, we are seeing the Trump Plaza, which uh, is not owned by Donald Trump anymore. Um, I, I think he still has maybe 10% of it, but he doesn't have much. But uh, he sold most of it. But anyway, um, it is closing. This is not the Taj Mahal, by the way. This is the Trump Plaza. It's owned technically by Trump Entertainment Resorts. And uh, what's going to happen to the property? The company has not decided yet. They're still reviewing what they're going to do. It will close on September 16th, 2014. They almost sold it for about $20 million last year. But uh, the sale didn't go forward. Believe it or not, uh, Carl Icahn, who holds the mortgage, didn't want the sale to go forward. He felt the price was actually too low. Uh, The casino opened 30 years ago in May of 1984. There's 1,000 employees. Uh, It seems to be consistently going downhill as far as how much it's making. Would you believe they've lost 27% in casino winnings compared to the same period last year. This is judging from January 1st, 2013 to January to June 30th, 2013, comparing the same six months to 2014, the winnings are down 27%, which is huge. Um, the Atlantic Club Hotel already shut down in January. Um The Showboat Casino, owned by Caesars, will close in August. And the Revell, which opened in 2012, spent uh, $2.4 billion opening this thing, uh, could close 
as soon as August if it can't sell to anybody. And they have over 3,000 employees. The showboat has over 2,000 employees. So uh, over 6,000 people are going to be unemployed in Atlantic City due to these closures. And that's not even including the ones that already lost their job from the Atlantic Club in January. So bad news in Atlantic City. Um, Nevada is not suffering like New Jersey is. Uh, Nevada had a big dip in gambling revenue when the housing crash occurred in 2008, 2009. But uh, since 2010, Nevada has been basically flat and even posting some moderate gains in gaming gaming revenue. So there's been a, a small recovery in Vegas, but Atlantic City is just going down, down, down. Um, what's been killing Atlantic City has been the other states, because Atlantic City mainly would get people from the Northeast, people in New York, people in uh, New Jersey, of course, people in Massachusetts, people in Philadelphia, you know, Pennsylvania I'm talking about, uh, Maryland, the Northeast would uh, come to Atlantic City. But there's been more and more competition in the Northeast, especially from the Indian casinos, the big ones like Foxwoods and Mohegan Sun. And uh, Maryland just opened up a casino called Maryland Live in 2012. Uh, Pennsylvania opened casinos in 2006. And uh, New York State approved a measure last year to expand casino gambling. So it's just looking bleaker and bleaker for Atlantic City, which uh, was never that great of a place. It's, it's really a poor man's Vegas, but was surviving just because of its geography and lack of competition. But as more competition springs up and people can go to closer places to gamble, they have no reason to go to Atlantic City. And the boardwalk, which is really the only attraction in Atlantic City aside from the gambling, is not enough to draw people there. And Atlantic City already has a bad reputation for crime and uh, other bad elements there. So uh, expect more and more closures like this. And online poker is not going to save them. Online poker is just... It's bringing in a little money, but not very much. Nothing of what's needed to save the uh, bad situation over there in AC. China Maniac, who's from the East Coast himself, he's from Massachusetts, he summed it up in the chat room just now by saying, AC is the biggest shithole. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's kind of true. I was in Atlantic City in October of 2012. That was when I was last there. I've been there a few other times. My first time there was, I think, in 2006. But, you know, it, it was something interesting to see, being from the West, but I can totally understand why people don't like it and why no one's going to want to go any distance to go there if they have casinos that are closer, like Mohegan Sun, Foxwoods, or whatever. So, 
I think Atlantic City has been in denial that they just don't have that much to attract people anymore. I do have a funny Atlantic City story, a personal story. Um, I was walking around the boardwalk with Benjamin and Ben's mom, and we were trying to find a place that had a good view of the ocean. We kind of were just looking for a spot with a picture. Now, yeah, I know you can go down to the beach, but I mean like a place, um, you know, like a, a place on the boardwalk where you could sit or you could stand and you can you know, be elevated and you could take a picture of yourself there with the ocean behind you. But we couldn't really find anything that fit that, believe it or not. But we finally saw a place. It was, um, it looked like some sort of bar or restaurant kind of like open open air type place and it looked like it fit the bill now we saw there were a number of people and it looked like there was some kind of party but you know whatever we figured we'd just go in there and take a few pictures and take off so we did that we walked in uh, I walked in and noticed at this party that was going on there there some people that look kind of weird uh, some girls that, that were dressed uh and really weird, outrageous clothing. Um, it's just something didn't look quite normal in there. But we didn't think much of it. I also noticed that uh, there were not any hot girls in there. The, the girls I saw in there were either really weird looking or just not very attractive or... Uh, in many cases, didn't look very feminine. I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh, It turned out that uh, I had taken my two-year-old son, Benjamin, to a gay party. (laughs) Yeah, it was a a coming-out party. I think for a national coming-out week or month or whatever. And we had walked in there and didn't realize what it was. So they must have thought it was so strange with a heterosexual couple coming in with a two-year-old child when everyone else there is gay. I I wonder if uh, they thought maybe I'm just with a really, really convincing tranny. But uh, it turned out the really weird-looking women that I saw there were not women at all. They were actually, they were the trannies. That explains why they didn't look quite right as women because they weren't. And and the real women there, um, you know, didn't look like the lesbians you'd see in porn, but uh, more like the realistic lesbians that uh, um, a lot more butch ones than femme ones. Even the femme ones didn't uh, weren't particularly attractive, but uh, they were nice. Uh, I'll say that uh, you know the, we stayed a little bit there and uh, you know took some pictures and and took in the scene there <laughs> and yeah everybody was nice and uh, and we told them we just kind of were looking for a place to take some pictures and we stumbled onto this but yeah uh, as a two year old Benjamin will be able to tell people that he had attended a coming out party I bet not many two year olds can say that especially when neither of their parents are gay But anyway, uh, that aside, I I thought that Atlantic City 
was not that appealing of a place, and I, I don't feel the need to rush back there. The main reason I went there was I took my seven stars trip there, where basically I got $500 worth of food and free airfare over there, and I really just used the place as a starting point for an East Coast road trip, which included visiting some family and um, seeing the leaf changes in the East Coast that occur during October, especially during New, in New England, like Vermont and New Hampshire. So that, that's why I was there. But it doesn't surprise me. It's all failing. And something I found really annoying there, though it didn't affect me personally, it turned out, because, uh, um, well, I'll explain in a second, but the parking there, because they're so paranoid about outsiders coming in who don't want to gamble, who just want to park there to visit the boardwalk and not use the casino in any way, and the casinos are the ones with all the parking lots, they charge an outrageous amount to park, like 20 bucks. Now, it turned out if you're a seven-star, a diamond, that you can park for free at any of the Caesars properties. And there were never Caesars properties along the boardwalk, so I was able to park that way. But if I didn't have that, I would have been so annoyed having to pay 20 bucks to park. So I think that by itself, the parking issue drives a lot of people away from coming in to casually gamble. The whole thing's just a big mess over there. And by the way, the family we were visiting in the East Coast, Lou Father's asking, was not my family. It's uh, Benjamin's family. It's not from my side. Benjamin actually still has a living great-grandmother who's getting very close to 100 years old. She's 99 right now. Um... All of my family that was on the East Coast, uh, except for one person, is not alive anymore. I only have one family member on the East Coast, who I did see on that trip. But uh, one family member on the East Coast, and that's it. I don't have much family that is related to me. Most of my blood family either is dead or never existed. So... um, That's it as far as the poker content for tonight's show. But I want to have my editorial about not poker but baseball. Now, this show is a day late because of baseball. I got tired of missing the All-Star game every year since I started this show. Because this show took place on Tuesday night. This show would always interfere with the All-Star game. So I'd have to read about the All-Star game afterwards instead of watching it. And I said, you know what? There's four Dodgers in the All-Star game this year. Clayton Kershaw, Zach Greinke, Dee Gordon, and Yasiel Puig, all of whom I expected to have you know, a reasonable length appearance in the All-Star game. And I was right. All four of them did appear for a good deal of time. I mean, Greinke and Kershaw only pitched one inning, but... You know, they were two two of the nine innings pitched, and then Puig had three at-bats, three bad at-bats, and uh, D. Gordon appeared and scored a run. So I wanted to see it. But something that has bugged me about the All-Star game for the past 12 years has been the stupidity to where it counts 
toward the World Series. Now, for those of you that don't know, since 2003, the All-Star Game, the winner of the All-Star Game, gets home field advantage in the World Series. And you might say, wait a minute, what winner of the All-Star Game? I thought it's American League against National League. So how does this affect a specific team in the World Series? Well, that's the whole point. That's why it's so stupid. Because what a league does affects what one team gets to do in the World Series. And when a league wins the All-Star Game, the vast, vast majority of that team, of that All-Star Team, consists of players who will not be in that World Series because they'll be on other teams that didn't make it. So that's why it's so stupid. Not only that, but you have players that are in the All-Star game that are on teams that are highly unlikely to make the World Series or maybe impossible to make the World Series or virtually impossible based upon where they are in the standings at the time of the All-Star game. So the reason this came to be was because of a debacle that occurred in 2002 at the All-Star Game. And I remember watching this, and I remember what a big mess the whole thing was, and it definitely wasn't one of Bud Selig's better moments. What happened was that uh, the All-Star game was a tie, and it went into extra innings. And they ran out of players. They weren't going to be able to sub out players anymore because uh, they had already used players, because the whole point is they're trying to get all the players in. It's not like in a regular baseball game where you don't care if some players sit on the bench the entire time because they can always play tomorrow. In the All-Star game, there's only one of them, so you want to get everybody who made it to the All-Star game in the game. But the problem when you do that and it goes in extra innings, you don't have any more players to put in, and you have to just keep the ones you have already in. So uh, teams started getting concerned that their players are going to be overworked, and it's going to affect them in the regular season. So after, I think it was 11 innings, it was a tie game, uh, Bud Selig decided that the game was going to be called a tie. It was just going to end. And everyone was angry. The entire crowd started chanting, let them play, let them play, let them play. Everyone was so angry about this. And it was a, a very embarrassing moment for the league because you know you had people who invested hours watching this thing. And baseball games don't end up in a tie. It's, it's not like soccer. Baseball games don't end up in a tie. Ever. They always play out. Even if the next day. But here it was actually going to end in a tie. People felt like they wasted their time. The fans watching it were furious that they spent 11 innings there to see a tie that was terminated because the managers of the t- other teams didn't want to see uh, their players get injured. So they proposed some changes for future years. And uh, there are some changes that have occurred, including that uh, uh, they can select a player who can re-enter the game if he's taken out. And the, um, the biggest change that was made 
and it wouldn't really prevent what happened in 2002. But the biggest change was that the All-Star game would now matter. Because that was one of the criticisms of 2002, that they were able to call it a tie because it didn't matter. Well, now it was announced it'll matter because the winner will have home field advantage in the World Series. And that's just awful. Because number one, the winner or loser of this game, it's just very arbitrary. They're not playing this the same way as they play a regular game. The The players are all from different teams. The players that may end up mattering, whether it wins or loses, may have nothing to do with a team that makes the World Series. In fact, they're most likely not going to. It's just not fair to the better team who should have home field advantage, who may not just because their league lost the All-Star game. It really should be, very simply, based upon the regular season record. Whoever had the better regular season record will get home field advantage in the World Series. That's the way it should be. And while home field advantage is not as big in baseball as it is in other sports, it's still something that is an advantage. And I think for the last four years, the team with the home field advantage has won. It's just very straightforward. The team with the best regular season record should get home field advantage, especially because the importance of the long 162-game regular season, which is much longer than the regular season in any other sport, 162 games. The regular season is getting to matter less and less as they are letting more and more teams into the playoffs. In 1994, there were only four teams making the playoffs. Four. Now, there are 10 teams making the playoffs, three division winners and two wild cards. And only a few more teams total in the league now compared to 94. So, with 10 teams making the playoffs... In baseball, it's a lot easier for the worst team to beat the better team. It's not like in basketball where the much worse team is unlikely to beat the much better team in a seven-game series or even a five-game series. But in baseball, it can easily happen if, a, if the worst of the two teams gets hot. So you have to be careful how many teams you let into the playoffs, period, in baseball. But since they're already letting in 10 teams, at least let the team with the best regular season record have home field all the way. So you can have a team that completely dominates the regular season, make it to the World Series, against a team that made the second wild card and squeaked through to the World Series by getting hot. And the second wild card could end up with the home field advantage simply because their league won an exhibition game, which is the all-star game. Not even the team won an exhibition game. The league won the exhibition game. It's so stupid. And this bothered me. Because I couldn't even watch the All-Star game and just enjoy it for seeing a lot of great players play against each other. Instead, I had to watch it and 
really, really root hard for the National League because I'm a fan of a team, the Dodgers, that have a good chance of making it to the World Series this year. Now, if the Dodgers finish with a worse regular season record than the American League team that makes it to the World Series, I won't feel as bad, and there are a number of American League teams with very good um, regular season records right now where the National League doesn't have any teams like that. So it probably won't matter in that respect, but if by some chance it does, it'll piss me off. Now, of course, people are asking the chat about another controversy that's much more recent involving the All-Star Game, and that is Adam Wainwright grooving a pitch to Derek Jeter, who was in his last All-Star Game. This is Derek Jeter's final season. He's 40 years old. Derek Jeter, unlike uh, A-Rod, a very beloved Yankees player, a lot of young players grew up idolizing Derek Jeter, even guys like Yasiel Puig. And Adam Wainwright gave up a leadoff double to Derek Jeter, who was batting leadoff in the game. Adam Wainwright was already named the starter of the game, controversially, because Clayton Kershaw of the Dodgers deserved it more. Even though Wainwright wasn't injured for any time like Kershaw was, and even though Wainwright has slightly better overall numbers, uh, Kershaw was so hot, he pitched 41 straight scoreless innings. He's just been so dominating over his last six or so games. He had the no-hitter. I mean, he should have been the, the starter. He should have been the starter. And, of course, he pitched the perfect inning, and Wainwright gave up three runs. But... Wainwright applauded when Derek Jeter came up to bat, which is so strange to see the opposing pitcher applauding the batter. But he can say, okay, Derek Jeter has, has been around so long, he has a good reputation, everyone likes him, fine. You, you know, you want to applaud him because you're still honoring him even though he's your opponent, fine. But he applauded him and then he grooved a pitch to him, which is amazingly stupid because the Cardinals have a decent chance of making the World Series again this year. So why is, why is Wainwright throwing the game? I mean, it's just one batter, but you see that the game finished 5-3. to three. Jeter did come around to score. Why would he groove a pitch to the opponent when the game will matter for the Cardinals if the Cardinals make the World Series? Crazy. And he stupidly admitted to this. He should have just kept his mouth closed and said, oh, I had a bad game or, hey, I was against really good guys like, you know, Jeter and Miguel Cabrera. And, you know, so, so they, you know, they got some big hits off me. What's that's going to happen? But like an idiot, he admitted that he grooved the pitch and then he had to backpedal when they asked him about it later. But he backpedaled without directly denying that he had said it. So it's clear that he admired Derek Jeter so much and he wanted Derek Jeter to walk off with the memory and with the fans' memory of him having a great last All-Star game, not going over in the game, not having a Yasiel Puig-type game where he strikes out three times. So he grooved a pitch to Jeter. Jeter got a double. Jeter came around to score. National League lost 5-3. to three. And the worst thing is, 
this was self-defeating for Wainwright, given that he has a contending team. It's not like a Cubs pitcher did this. So I bet his teammates are pissed. By the way, Wainwright, you know, he's become an excellent pitcher. He's the second best pitcher in the National League, but he's a distant second. He's a distant second. Clayton Kershaw is worlds better than him and everybody else. There's there's no player that matches up to what Kershaw is. As far as pitchers are concerned. None. So, Blue Odom saying in the chat, you should never step onto the field intending to do less than your best. I've lost all respect for Wainwright. And, you know, I wouldn't mind so much the grooving of the pitch if the All-Star game was just an exhibition game and just a showcase of a bunch of great players playing against each other. But since it does now matter because of this dumb rule, whether it affected his team personally or not, he shouldn't have done it. China Maniac saying Kershaw is the best pitcher since Pedro Martinez and maybe best in 75 years. I think that barring injury, Clayton Kershaw might actually go down as the best player of all time. Not best player, best pitcher of all time. I know it's early to say that, but uh, he's really looking like it so far. He's got so much left in his career. He's still young. So, I think we may have many years of Kershaw's dominance, even putting guys like uh, Greg Maddox to shame. And hopefully, unlike Maddox, he'll know when to quit and not have a few mediocre seasons before uh, stepping away. Jay Stat saying Sandy Koufax was better. Well, Sandy Koufax, we'll never know because he didn't pitch that long. Sandy Koufax had a very early into his career. But they actually have very comparable numbers, by the way. And Sandy Koufax never pitched 41 straight scoreless innings. But there is a long way to go. Okay, I'm getting a a message on Skype from Eric Ryland. About to shut down the show. But anybody wants to call in, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. Eric Ryland wants to call in. I'm telling him to call in right now. He's saying he's going to call in because the show is slow. Uh, This is just kind of the end of the show where I'm just talking about a topic that I find interesting. I know not all of you will, but I do this at the end because uh, anyone could turn it off if they don't feel like hearing about this stuff. Covered all the topics. Here's... Eric Ryland calling through on Skype. Hello, Hello Ryland. What's up? So what's going on with you? Man, I, I'm uh, going to listen to the archives, so I don't know what you've been uh, talking about. I, I did hear you did the interview with that scammer. How'd that go? It was interesting. You know, he, he had all his reasons and excuses and all that, and, uh, you know, I let him. Was there what... was there a, a bit of uh, comedy in there? Or is it oh, just yeah, kind of... yeah. I, I, I threw in some uh, sound effects. I, I don't know if you could hear them or not. Like it, it seems like hit or miss with Skype, whether the caller can hear the sound effects or not. Like, I'm going to test this right now. I'm going to play a sound effect. Uh, you tell me if you hear it. 
Okay, sounds good. Did you hear it? Yeah, that's actually my favorite one. It uh, okay. makes things a lot more funny than they even are when you yeah, play yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you like it. Yeah, um, I, I actually had uh, Leo Wolpert, who I know listens to the show, he came up to me actually at the World Series and, and told me that he wants me to keep the sound effects. He said he really likes them. In fact, when I co-host again, I want to have my – you have to show me how to do that. I want my own soundboard of all new soundboard effects and <laughs> – I'll try not to be too annoying with them, but uh... <laughs> I don't know if I can give somebody else control of the soundboard. But okay, so 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 what's going on here, Ryland? No, I just wanted to call in. It's been a while, and I wanted to let you know I would have met you this this series if you had not busted out of the uh, the main event so quickly. I was there later that day. Uh, you say and no. I, I met everybody. I met Danny Negreanu, Durr, um, Kevin Mathers, Kevmath. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Victor Ramden, as you know, and let's see. I think that's it's probably most of them. I'm probably forgetting some people, but um, I wanted to chime in about your Halmuth comment, why you thought it was weird that he approached you the other year. Um, I think he probably did that. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I think he probably did that because he didn't want you to harass him at the table for any chance for that to get any TV exposure in the future, you know, because I think he was thinking he got lucky last time that they didn't air anything. That's a decent theory. Yeah, what he's referring to here, I talked about this on the forum, but um, in 2010, Helmuth came up to me. I should actually uh, tell you what happened in 2009. 2009, I was at the TV table with Phil Helmuth. They can still find this on YouTube. And uh, this is the main event. I didn't cash that year, but I was at the TV table. And I made a joke about UB, about how Phil can't see my cards because we're not on a UB. And it didn't make the ESPN coverage, but uh, it kicked off an argument between me and Phil. And Phil eventually had the tournament staff threaten me with a penalty if I continued to talk about UB, which I found to be ridiculous. But I, I, had, I had to shut up because I was short-stacked, and if I got a penalty, I'd be out. So anyway, uh, Phil saw me a year later at the 2010 World Series and approached me. And we're just both walking around alone. Like, like he wasn't with his group. I wasn't with anyone. I, we were just walking around by ourselves. And he approached me, and he acted like it was very important to him that I don't hate him. He asked, do you hate me? And said, I understand why you hate UB, and that makes sense, but please don't hate me. And I thought it was so weird that this, you know, one of the biggest stars in poker uh, cared about a relative nobody like me, what I thought of him. And I, I could never figure out why it was so important to Phil Helmuth that I don't hate him and why he actually approached me out of nowhere a year later to, to ask me about it. So that was Ryland's theory that he was hoping that uh, if we got on another TV table that I wouldn't start the thing, th- same thing up again with him and maybe get it on TV that time. Yeah, definitely. And I, I did meet one other person at the World Series. Uh, I met Mike Khan. <laughs> oh, that's fine. Yeah, that's... And uh, I went up there to him and he gave us, you know, the Seals with Clubs stuff and thank you for that Mike but uh, I, I said I don't really listen to your radio show Mike I listen to Druffs and you know what he said to me what <laughs> he said he looked me right in the eyes I couldn't see his eyes because he always wears those glasses you know what I mean like he's actually you know he's an intimidating dude because he has those those shades you can't see his eyes those small little beady blue shades that he always wears yeah yeah and he looks he looked me right in the eyes and he said Druff can die well, you know, now that you tell this story, I, I, I was like, "Whoa!" 
Well, okay, I, shit, I, I you never talk some like my kind. You say we bygones be guy bygones. We don't talk anymore. But he was legitimately. He hates you, man. No, I know. You know what's funny? Since you told the story, I'll tell another story that I wasn't going to tell in public, but I might as well know. Um, there's a girl that Mycon and I both know, and this is not a girl who either of us dated or anything. It's just a girl we both know, and she's not a big name in poker, but uh, she had forgotten that Mycon and I were no longer friends. So when I made day two of the Limit Hold'em, and this is this year, the Limit Hold'em 1500, I made day two, and she did as well. She's also a Limit Hold'em player. Uh, she happened to see Mike on in the hallway when she was walking to her day two and talked to him for a little bit. And she said, oh, I, you know, your buddy Todd, he's in this one, too. He made day two also. And Mike on sat there looking all like surprised, like, <laughs> like, like, how could she say that? Like, is she being sarcastic? Like, he, he couldn't understand. And he's sitting there like giving a weird look. And it's because she had forgotten what had happened. So then she realized that, oh, oh, I forgot. You, you, you two aren't friends anymore. And then he paused for a second and then said, I hope he dies of a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> so as she came and reported that to me. So I, I, I don't know why he's doing this. I mean, we haven't had any interaction. We haven't spoken or emailed or any like we've had no interaction for quite some time i i don't understand what the uh uh continued hostility is but i i i almost went and posted on the forums about this and i'm like you know what uh, you know I, whatever right as long as he's not doing anything to hurt me uh if he's just saying he hopes i die then let him hope i die you know it's like like who cares yeah, do you do you know that? Does he even still do a radio show? I mean, no, no, he doesn't do a radio show right now. Um, you can actually still technically access the Donk Down forum, uh, not through any kind of front page, but there's like a way if, to access it, uh, to read it, and a few, I don't know, weird people post there. When I say weird, like kind of just like foreigners who don't even understand what they're posting, uh, but uh, and spammers and whatever. But the site is really gone for the most part and he doesn't run the radio show anymore hasn't run it in months and maybe it'll come back today one day maybe it won't but you know he's he's contact he's concentrating now on his bitcoin site and that's that's where all his energies are going and uh um whatever but uh yeah yeah nothing against my con uh shout out to him thank you for the the gear and stuff you know like the (laughs) That's uh, that's that's interesting. Uh, You're the second person who he's, yeah. he said this to at the World Series about yeah. hoping I die. We'll, we'll, we'll do a plug for SealsWithClubs.com. SealsWithClubs.com blowing see, up come, huge. Come on, your island. Don't don't advertise uh, Mike on something uh, after. Uh, he said, see, okay. he says I'm going to die, and then you uh, advertise his site. That's not. Uh, who knows? Maybe it will. It will. It will. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he'll get even more confrontational about it if we uh, talk about him on the on the show. So I don't know. I'm just. Trying to do both of you a favor. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah. Don't don't mention that site again here. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, Limp Donk Bingo is saying I need to host the old radio shows here. Meaning I need to uh, keep the arc the archives of the old Donk Down show and the old Neverwin Poker show on this site, and I can't do that for legal reasons because when I sold my piece of Donk Down for the whopping $1,200 that I did, um, one thing that I agreed was that I no longer own any piece of the radio shows and the only thing he can't do with them is uh, is sell them for profit. But uh, 
Other than that, uh, he doesn't own them. Or may, maybe, you know what, maybe I, I, I think actually he can sell them for profit. You know, you know what, I changed that. That's right. I actually refused at first, but then I eventually, the final agreement was that he can sell them for profit and he just owns them. I, th- I think so. I can't say for sure, so I'm not uh, giving permission or anything. But if it's in the contract, then he can. But uh, not that they have any value. But the, the bottom line is I can't just take them and host them here because I don't own them anymore. Right. But yep. uh, Anyway, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd call in. I'll probably try to host one of the coming weeks. It's just uh, it's just so fun to listen, man. Like, I listen every every time, you know. It's uh, – it's uh, when you host, it's just just kind of, you know, you're kind of involved and you don't get to, like, sit back and relax and listen. You know what I mean? No, I know. So, I know. It's, yeah. it's a different experience. Yeah, I don't know if that's the same for same way with everybody, but I'll try to host one of these times. So Yeah, okay. And, and Ryland, you know, I really do want to meet you one of these times. You know, you're living oh, me in too, Vegas man. I've, and... I've, I've asked you to play live cash here and there, but uh, I guess you don't really – like playing no limit cash games anyway. No, I can come, you know, just some time and do it. You know, I, 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 I don't like no limit cash, but if there's someone I know there, it can be more fun. I just, I find no limit cash to be boring, especially live because you just sit and sit yeah. and sit when people are. Yeah, I played so much live cash this series. I'm so, so sick of casinos. Like, I just can't stand was... it because, like, like, okay, you fold your hand and then. Two people get in some big hand, and they tank and tank and tank. Oh, my God, you just want the damn hand to end, and it drags on for five or ten minutes, and and you can't even get into the next hand. It, you know, Live is slow as it is when everything moves quickly, but uh, uh, to have to wait for all the tanking, I mean, it's awful. And, yeah. Uh, I really think, like, if you start your session and you lose, like, a huge hand, that just sets the whole tone. That's of your another problem. So that, like you want to you want to get back to even. You know, it's on, online. You get to click a button every second. You load up a, some a few more tables. But live is fucking brutal. I mean, it, it is brutal. That's another problem with no limits. You can lose these huge hands at the beginning, and then it just, as you said, it sets the tone for the whole thing. You just don't even want to be there anymore. Like I once, I was playing ten twenty no limit one time at uh, Bellagio, only because I couldn't get in the limit game, and uh, and I had Queen Jack offsuit, and this guy min raises, and uh, I I was in the big blind with the uh, the queen jack. Um, and he, he min raised from early position, and nobody else was min raising, and I hadn't seen him min raising, so I'm like, this is totally aces. Mm-hmm. So, I go, I'm gonna flat, I'm gonna call the queen jack, obviously, but if I get top pair, I'm gonna be very very careful how much money I put in here. Like I, I'm really just gonna be super passive unless I get two pair or better. So. Flop comes like queen jack four. I go, okay, I'm going to stack this guy. And uh, I think I had like 3K or so in front of me. So anyway, um, on the turn, I check raised them all in, and he called. Turn was a blank, by the way. I turn over my queen jack. He turns over his aces. So I go, perfect. I, 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 exactly what I was intending to do. Exactly, I read this whole thing right. Perfect. The board pairs on the river. So 6,000 plus pot gets pushed to him. <clears throat> I'm so irritated, and I, I just stand up, and I, I don't even play the, my free hands. I don't rebuy. I just said, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 and I, like, it's, it's so hard for me not to play free hands. Like, it's, uh, I, I've said before, unless my house is on fire, I'm, I'm going to yeah, play my that, free hands that online. That is a big deal for you. But I actually just stood up and said, I'm just done. I just left. I said, I, I can't even yeah. play anymore. Yeah. That's that's what I'm talking about, and and uh, even online poker in Nevada right now. I want to leave on that note is really how pathetic is that that they had 
you know, they had like this big tournament on there. Um, and then, and, and also the 25 seat main event giveaway. And there's like over a thousand players buying in for this $215 tournaments, you know, and not one new person was shown, shown up for the cash games. I was sitting on there for each, each time. For yeah. That. I noticed that too. I was actually it's, playing. It's just I, fucking pathetic. I and played then the, the 25 seat. Really? Thing. You can't play in the same internet if you're at the Rio. They had that problem at first. Yeah. That was, that's just, I, can you believe that, man? <laughs> I, how do they not think of that? You're right. If you have the same IP, you can't play it. During the World Series, everybody at the Rio, if you have the same IP, you can't sit at the same cash table. It was yeah, it man. was awful. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I have yet to, to read the cliffs on, on this show. Are you, are you going to mention the uh, that small Californian? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I mentioned it, of course. We had a, oh, yeah. a, and you can deposit in the smoke shop. Yeah, you actually can't deposit yet, but uh, yeah. Yeah, we, we had to talk about that. Here Here's a little story. The last thing I forgot about this, but uh, – this is something that I think you'll have an interest in since you have an interest in the legalized online poker scene in Nevada. Um, Ultimate Poker, they are really shaking things up here. They Ultimate Poker trying to think, how do we improve our fail site here in Nevada? How do we get people oh, on the site? Yeah. Okay? So, so Ultimate Poker comes up with the brilliant idea, <laughs> the absolutely brilliant idea of partnering with the titan of the – Las Vegas gambling world, the El Cortez. <laughs> this is serious. This is not even a joke. It and, should be a joke. But... You know, do you th- I bet everybody just knows, like, the, they're notorious for being, like, the, the dump of Las Vegas. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And, El Cortez and... is known for two things. One, being a dump downtown, and two, being a casino, one of the few casinos that will bar you for playing basic strategy blackjack. Yeah, and even even my friends from Minnesota that have no idea about anything in, in Vegas, they, they go, oh, El Cortez, isn't that the place where you get bed bugs? Like, <laughs> so, and, and, and the, in the promotional email I got, they, they said, oh, we've partnered with this hotel just like we had partnered with Peppermill Hotels. Yeah. Whatever. Well, Big deal, like that. That's your. I mean, if 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 partnering partnering with a like hotels like Peppermill, which has to be a lot better, that's not doing shit for your casino either. What what difference does it make partnering? With yeah, I El don't Cortez? understand. That's... Like so so, um, they're they're partnering with El Cortez, and um, for some reason they think that's going to make people want to play there. Uh, like I can't imagine what they think. Like, how is this partnership going to benefit them? Are they even going to get one player who will deposit there because they're partnered with the El Cortez? It's just so strange. It's like they're just – Yeah, I mean <laughs> it's 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 a joke. Like this isn't going to help – they're going to go bankrupt at this rate. They're wasting time, money, and resources. They need to, one, totally change their software, not, not updates where they can get waiting lists and shit. Like that's just – it's ridiculous. Like they need to totally – Spend all their time, resources, and money on purchasing different software. Or, or at like, least if they're not going to do that – well, they did put up the new software recently. But if what they need to do is they need to have some kind of killer promotions that are, that are, are going to attract people and, and give money to people who start games and get games going and do innovative things to bring people there. Don't don't partner with the El Cortez. I, and that, this is a statement from uh, a Jew girl named – Alexandra Epstein, who says this, she works at the El Cortez. She's the executive VP there. She she says, 
By combining the online accessibility of online poker with the classic Vegas feel of the El Cortez, <laughs> the classic Vegas feel, we're giving new and existing players a different way to experience the game of poker. Now, how is this giving them a different way to experience the game of poker? It just adds, like, one place where people can buy into the site. But, like, yeah, who's going to ever... Because the fucking other, other ways to deposit don't fucking work. All my <laughs> friends that came here to visit during the series, they couldn't deposit. But can't you do it by going to a station casino sportsbook like or, or whatever? Like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, but like the the credit card problems for this and WSOP, like they need to think of new, innovative, really easy ways to do that. Not have to drive all the way down there and to the all. It's just so weird. But they have places you can deposit, uh, yeah, directly anyway. So it's, like, it's, this doesn't just... give them anything. I don't get it. I don't get what this gives them. It doesn't yeah, make I any sw- sense. I swear to God, Druff, if if they gave us ten grand each. You and I could could get players on there. Like we we could probably get like at least twenty to fifty mid six players on there. If we well, at really, least if, really at least if they it. gave us uh, some power in deciding, you know, what what uh, ways well, to go with it. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I swear to God, we could do a better job. Yeah, I I don't understand this. I I don't understand where they're going with a lot of these things. I I, I don't know why they are not taking some simple steps to bring people in instead of these weird partnerships. It's just so weird. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing I just, bad about it. I just really hope that, uh, that California has actual means where you can deposit with a credit card because personally, you know, it's easy for a, pro- a professional to deposit a couple thousand and not go broken. You know, you just drive down there once, but fish, they only want to deposit a couple hundred, and when they go bust, they're not going to keep driving all the way down there and depositing at a cage. If yeah, that's certainly means. Well, to do they it. can't control the credit card thing. That's a decision being made by the credit card companies to reject gambling transactions, and there's nothing they can do about that. Uh, Citibank well, they, they works. They do the need best. to get a, a better check process, uh, e-check processor than Certigy. Obviously, obviously, I mean that. Uh, I've yeah, th- there's had... definitely there's definitely problems and. Uh, but it's not just about the depositing. It's yeah. Uh, the, the problem is there's too much old school online poker thinking. They they think if they try to imitate poker stars as much as they can, uh, then it'll work for them. It's not the same thing. It's a different market. They need to do different things. They no one's understanding this. No one understands it's a different market. It's different challenges, especially when you're not the lead room and you're trying to become. You're trying to catch up with them. Everything's different. You can't have the same type of rewards program. You need everything different that's tailored to the legalized market and the idiosyncrasies with it. And they're not doing that. They're they're imitating the successful online poker rooms of the past, the illegal ones that played under a different set of rules. They don't understand that uh, what works for one is not going to work for the other. So it's just uh, they're not understanding. It, it's, it reminds me of uh, – uh, you know, companies that sometimes attempt to do things that uh, they think they understand that, but don't. You know, like M- McDonald's trying to introduce pizza. You know, like <laughs> yeah, and and even when I went over to New Jersey to their sites, like I could, I could, I was so scared because I, I I got all the way over there and and I had my net teller set up and it didn't work, and then uh, and then like the max deposit was. Twelve hundred dollars on one of the methods. They have like four other methods that Nevada doesn't have, and and like the max was twelve hundred dollars. I'm like, what the hell? But luckily, I ran up that twelve hundred because who knows what I would have had to do if 
I would have busted that yeah, initial who knows what he would have had to do. He could have had to do a lot of bad things. Red, I don't think they even had Konoshenti. <laughs> Go ahead. Do, no, do you know this word, Ryland? Tell me if you know what this word means. Konoshenti. What is that word? I have no idea. You don't know what Konoshenti is? No. Konoshenti. You should look at the back of Dan Harrington's Harrington on Hold'em book, or if you don't have that, then just Google the word Konoshenti, that's C-O-G-N-O-S-C-E-N-T-I, and then Dan Harrington, and you'll get an idea. We talked about it earlier in the show. Okay, okay. so uh, thank you for coming on at the end here, Ryland. It was, yep. uh, I do want to meet you sometime soon. Oh, we will, man. It will be uh, be pretty epic. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back in six days. Yeah, for those of you that have liked this show and have uh, withdrawals from it when there is a week apart, you know, when there is uh, a week in between, the last two are six days apart. This is six days from the last show, and six days from now will be the next show. So, uh, get, them in the, get them in the archives tonight, real quick, man. Well, here's the problem. When I end the show, I have some things to do that are, are not on the computer. So I usually get it up by around you know, midnight Pacific time, which I, I think is pretty fast, all things considered. So, so you can find it there in the archives in Stitcher, in iTunes, or you can just go to PokerFraudAlert.com and find it there. You can subscribe to our RSS feed and get it directly from us. There's so many ways you can get uh, the archives of Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. And uh, thank you to all the people who donated for this week's free roll, the $100, Pooh, Belly Buster, uh, crap, I'm forgetting who else donated. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I'm embarrassed. But uh, Well, they're not going to donate anymore. Yeah, no, no. At level account and Trader SHKY. I can't forget them either. They're the other two donors. But, uh, yeah, thank you to everybody who donated. I will have a button up there and making it easier to donate in the future. Try to get that set up this week. And hats. I will send out Poker Front Alert hats to those that have been promised hats. Sometime this week, sometime next week, and we'll have more contests and other things you can win them from me. Or you can just ask if you want one. Maybe I'll give one to you if you've been around for a while. Do you think we're going to have those next year with, like, maybe a different design or something? I wouldn't go that far. I've got 70 hats. I'm not getting any more until oh, I give them all away. Until all the 70 <laughs> are gone, this is the design that's going to stay. But maybe T-shirts coming soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you in six days. Good night. Shalom. and Shalom. Shalom.